This is Jocko Podcast number 81 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. November 29th, 1915. It has teemed. The trenches are ankle deep, some places calf deep in mud. And the communications trenches are rushing streams of brown water. The men are wet through, but stick the job like Britons. And I hope for their sake that the weather lifts with the morning. The guns have been strafing today, though up till now we have dodged the show. It may be ours again tomorrow, though. One never knows. This is from the diary of Captain Charlie May, the British Army officer, commander of B Company, 22nd Manchester Pals Battalion of the Manchester Regiment who served in World War I. He was married to Bessie May. And they had one daughter who was born July 20th, 1914. So she was a little over a year old when this journal was being written from the trenches. And it continues. December 1st, 1915. It is exciting work, sniping. In fact, one must curb the tendency lest it should become a fascination. The second in command of the E. Lance, the East Lanchester Regiment, and myself put in a couple hours this morning and had quite a bit of fun worrying the botches in their trenches. One fellow was walking across the open 2,000 yards off when I spotted him and let go. You never saw a chap move quicker in your life. He ran for a tree and jumped behind it, and I let him have four more there. Whether I got him or not, I don't know, but he didn't move for the next half hour. I know because I waited so anxiously for him. Last night, or rather 1.30 this morning, I got outside the barbed wire and got lost. Three times I had to fling myself down in the wet grass, bury my nose in it, and grovel while the machine guns went chattering over me. It is remarkable with what speed one learns to adopt the prone position. January 13th, 1916. I long and long to see you clasp you in my arms and I long with all my heart to see my baby how I love her what hopes I have for her what a sweet girl she will make February 25th 1916 woke up this morning to find the snow pelting down and covering the ground fully five inches deep Also, it was freezing hard. Cotton, a fellow officer, came in to breakfast with us. 
he brought the little Bible which another soldier had taken from the body of a dead German on the flyleaf in a child's handwriting the word dada war is very sad perhaps the man may have done and been something to loathe and detest I do not know all I am conscious of is that somewhere in his fatherland there is a little child who called him dada April 6th, 1916, Fritz strafed our new trenches with heavies and searched round the support with HE, shrapnel, and other such obnoxious stuff. One shell claimed three NCOs and wounded three men. We all feel wild to get at the beast, and I hope we may string him up on the wire. I saw the killed go down the line. It was a pitiful sight. Poor boys, shell fire is a horrid thing. Gresty, a lad who is a sergeant of mine, was the worst, his body full of gaping holes. It was very, very sad. Do those at home realize how their boys go out for them? Never can they do enough for their soldiers. Never can they repay the debt they owe. Not that the men ask any reward. But one day, we'll get at him with the bayonet. We'll take our price then for Gretzi and all the other hundreds, thousands, Gretzis slain as they were standing at their posts. June 17th, 1916. I do not want to die. The thought that I may never see you or our darling baby again turns my bowels to water. My conscience is clear that I have always tried to make life a joy for you. But it is the thought that our babe may grow up without my knowing her and without her knowing me. I pray God I may do my duty, for I know whatever that may entail, you would not have it otherwise. June 23rd, 1916. Everything is speeding up to no end. Ammunition by the hundred wagon load is pouring up. It should certainly not be for lack of ammunition if we do not make a huge success of the venture. Yet one cannot help feeling a little anxious and worried. So much depends on this great throw. And what he's talking about there in this part of the journal, it reflects the buildup for the Battle of the Somme. 
and although Charlie doesn't know exactly when the battle is going to commence they're obviously only distributing that information with people that have the need to know they know that a major attack is forthcoming and that's why they've got all that ammunition piled up more than they could ever think they could possibly need back to the journal June 28th 1916 the moment seems very auspicious for us to strike perhaps we will on Friday July 1st 1916 we marched up to the assembly trench last night the most exciting March imaginable guns all around crashed and roared till sometimes it was quite impossible to hear oneself speak it was however a fine sight and one realized from it what gunpowder really means Fritz of course strafed back in reply causing us some uneasiness and a few casualties before we even reached the line the night passed noisily and with a few more casualties the Hun puts a barrage on us every now and then and generally claims one or two victims it is a glorious morning we go over in two hours time it seems a long time to wait and I think whatever happens we shall all feel relieved once the line is launched no man's land is a tangled desert unless one could see it one cannot imagine what a terrible state of disorder it is in but we do not yet seem to have stopped the machine guns these are popping off all along our parapet as I write I trust they will not claim too many of our lads before the day is over now I close this old diary down for the next few days since I may not take it into the line I will keep a record of how things go and enter it up later well that update never took place and Charlie May was wrong about how many British soldiers would be claimed before the day was over he didn't think it would claim too many but as you know the first day of the Battle of the Somme July 1st turned out to be the worst day in history for the British Army and they suffered almost 60,000 casualties 60,000 casualties in one day and like I said those casualties included Charlie May who went over the top on July 1st under the cover of Allied artillery he was leading B company 
and he and his men fought their way across no man's land and just as they reached German lines Charlie was hit by shell fire and killed and his diary was found by the man that eventually dragged him back to the trenches private Arthur Bunting who mailed the diary to Charlie's wife Maud Now, the British have a steeped military history. And obviously, this is the kingdom that we Americans rebelled against in the Revolutionary War, and we fought them again in the War of 1812. And we actually had a bunch of other little various disputes with them until the late 1800s. When during something called the Great Reproachment, through various forces in the world, our political objectives were aligned and we became the staunchest of allies with Great Britain through World War One and World War Two and Korea and Vietnam and even up till now in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I've been lucky enough to work alongside Brits on just a couple occasions while I was in the military. And there's no doubt that they are just outstanding troops, professional in everything that they do, and they leave that impression on you. You can actually feel the pride of their military tradition. And tonight I wanted to take a, at a, a look at a book that is part of that military tradition. And the book is called Serve to Lead. And I'm going to start with some statements from the introduction to this version of the book. And the version of the book that I'm reading is the old version I think it's from 1954 or 57 originally written right after World War two and these comments here are from a guy named Robin Matthews a former British Army officer graduate of the Royal Military Academy of Sandhurst that's like the British West Point he went on to command his regiment the light dragoons which included a tour of duty in Iraq in 2005 He also served with 16 Air Assault Brigade in Helmand Province in Afghanistan. And here's what he has to say about this book. Serve to Lead is a remarkable book produced by the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst after the Second World War. It is as clear and concise a treatise on leadership as you will find. It also provides a fascinating glimpse into what sets the profession of arms apart from any other. Serve to lead is synonymous with Sandhurst, placed on the bed of every officer cadet at the beginning of their military training, somewhere between prayer book, which is what I thought it was initially, and Bible, 
as it has often been referred, it lays out what is expected and what to expect. Unequivocally, it establishes selflessness, self-discipline, integrity, and duty as the bedrock of leadership. Excitingly, it speaks of courage and boldness as the essential differentiators upon which events turn and to which soldiers and leaders are instinctively drawn. There is so much to enjoy and consider on every page, but the most beguiling message of the book concerns humility. Leadership must be confident, but unless it is matched in equal measure by humility, it jars, at which point the lead simply fall away. If I am to lead you, first and foremost, I must be your servant. Like any good book, the clue is in the title. In this case, simple, seemingly contradictory, but ultimately profound. Serve to lead. And that's the uh, intro to this book. And obviously there's a dichotomy of leadership. He's already talking about things that we talk about all the time. And yes, you've got to be confident, but you've got to be humble. And the title of the book is a contradiction, is a dichotomy in its own sense, Mm. right? Serve to lead. And like I said, this book, they actually have a new one. And I have the new one. I went with the old one. And the reason I went with the old one, there's a couple things that we're gonna, I'm going to point out that clearly they've changed their thoughts on. And maybe we'll end up doing a compare and contrast with the new one. There aren't that many differences, but there certainly are some very significant differences, and we'll get to those. And this is going to kick off with a, a piece from the Lord Bishop of Durham. It is the fact that some men possess an inbred superiority which gives them a dominating influence over their contemporaries and marks them out unmistakably for leadership. This phenomenon is as certain as it is mysterious. It is apparent in every association of human beings in every variety of circumstances and on every plane of culture. In a school among boys, in a college among the students, in a factory, shipyard, or mine among the workmen, as certainly as in the church and in the nation, there are those who, with an assured and unquestioned title, take the leading place and shape the general conduct. So there's an opinion. People ask all the time, are leaders born or made? That one right there is, hey, leaders are born. And that's, I... I always say both. I always say there's there's certain leadership qualities that people are born with, and some people are born with a lot of them. Some people are born with a lot of those qualities. Some people are born with a lot less. Some people aren't born with any. They're not going to be much of a leader. It doesn't matter how much you train them. You can get them better, but they're not going to be a great leader. Mm-hmm. And obviously, some, some leaders don't need much training. Uh, there's very few of those. Leaders that just don't, they just get it out of the gate as just born that way. I think it's a mixture of both. And I think you're born with some leadership capability. And the more you hone it, the more you work on it, the better you're going to be. Why would you think, or why do you think that is? Is it because to be a leader, like the, the good, strong qualities that you got to have are so contradictory or counterintuitive? They're not even counterintuitive, but you can get better at all of them. You know, a couple, the, the one that's 
for instance, some people are naturally talented, or some people are naturally articulate people. So they're able to get their message across in simple, clear, concise language. That's very important. Now, if you're born with that, you're lucky, right? Good job. You were born with that. You were born an articulate person. If you weren't, guess what? You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to read. You're going to have to write. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to practice speaking to people. And you will get better at it. So those, that's your example. Some people just have it naturally, and, but even people that have it naturally will get better at it over time. Right. I was always pretty comfortable speaking to people, but obviously when I was in the military, I spoke to people all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I was in a training, uh, training situation as a young enlisted SEAL, I was put up in front of the classroom to speak to people and, and, and I got better at it. Yeah. And then when I became an officer and a leader, now I was briefing people and so I'm doing it even more. And then I took over the training for the West Coast SEALs and now I was briefing people all the time. And, and when I was overseas, I was briefing you know colonels and generals and okay, you're gonna brief a bunch of times, you're gonna get better at it. Yeah. I was already okay at it, just naturally, but I got better at it and I'm still getting better at it today. So that's the same with any of these particular talents, you know, being able to simplify things, being able to detach. Those yeah. are all important leadership qualities. You can have a certain level that you're capable at, but the more you practice them, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a combination. Yeah. So how you say like a lot, there's it's pretty rare that you get somebody who's um you know, just has all the Qualities right out the gate. Yeah, right. not, not I can't. I've never met anybody that just just dominates in every right. category because across like, the gate. Like detaching, for example, that's not that's kind of counter to the, your natural way of being. Yeah, is that's what I'm true. Saying. Most people are going to want to get in there. Yeah, for they're, sure. They're in the- now, I I just thought of this example. I, I've talked about him a little bit on the on the podcast when we had Tim Ferriss on Alton Lee Grizzard. He was uh, he was the he was my assistant platoon commander when I was at SEAL Team One, and he he got murdered. It was horrible, tragic situation. He was involved in a murder suicide, and but he he had a lot of those capabilities. He had a lot like he was like very naturally. articulate. He was the quarterback at the Navy football team, oh, so right. he had like a real good presence to him. He spoke clearly. He was down to earth, and yet you know very. He could elevate himself very quickly when he was talking to the certain, you know, if he needed to elevate himself. He just mm. had a lot of those qualities very naturally. Mm. And, and guess what? He was at the Naval Academy. He played football. He was constantly getting in front of his, you know, getting in the huddle and telling guys what was going to happen. And you get good at that over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And part of that is, so I don't know how much of it, you know, I didn't know him when he was a football player when he was in eighth grade. Mm. Maybe he was stammering and trying to put his thoughts mm. together, but then he trained it over and over and over again, and he got better at it. Mm. And maybe by the time he got to me as a 23-year-old Lieutenant JG, he was like, oh, we're going to get in a huddle? I'll tell you guys what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, even though it appeared to me like it was natural, it probably wasn't. It was probably yeah. trained. You know, he had some natural capability, but he played football his whole life, mm. and that was that. Yeah, so in in a way... You can kind of, and this may be kind of interchangeable as far as the expression, but, you know, you say natural capability. It could be that they gain it through learning or whatever, just through their environment, you know, like as, as a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. So playing football. And then they'll bring it to the training situation and they'll excel. Yeah, because they have but it. I think it's got to be a little bit of both, right? Yeah, yeah. And you will I mean. get better at it. But the more you focus on that particular skill, like some people aren't very comfortable talking. 
in, in a, you know, even they're not even comfortable talking in a conversation, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And so if you end up with a kid like that, well, you got to get him out and socialize him and get him in, get him in front of people talking all the time, and that will be good for them. Yeah. If you have someone that's, uh, if you got a kid or yeah, if you got a kid or a young leader that doesn't know when to shut up. Right? How are you gonna, because sometimes leaders are like that too. They wanna hear themselves talk and they yeah. just keep talking all the time. And guess what? The more you talk, the less people listen. Yeah. So if I'm giving orders on every little thing that we've gotten to do in front of us, eventually you're not listening to me anymore. Yeah. And when something critical comes up, you're still not listening to me. Because I've been talking for the past six straight months, won't shut my pie hole. <laughs> so that's a bad situation. Yes. So how do we get that person to quiet down? Mm-hmm. It's both. Yeah. All right, so now we're gonna hear from a guy named Field Marshal William Slim. I think Bill Slim is what they ended up calling him. He was in World War One and World War Two, wounded multiple times, I think three times, he led the 14th Army in Burma in World War Two, and he also fought with the Anzac, so the, the Australian New Zealand Army Corps at Gallipoli. So you could say he's got a pretty good uh, view of things. Sure. So he's this the believe it or not the first this this book kicks off with talking about morale and the morale of the troops. So here we go back to the book. Morale is a state of mind. It is that intangible force which will move a whole group of men to give their last ounce to achieve something, without counting the cost to themselves. That makes them feel that they are part of something greater than themselves. Now, <clears throat> this is interesting. So, so he's talking about the importance of morale. Now, going back to the subject we were just talking about, back to the book, I learned too that one did not need to be an orator to be effective. Two things only were necessary. First, to know what you were talking about, and second, and most important, to believe it yourself. So there you go. Mm. You don't need to be a great orator, but you gotta know what you're talking about and you gotta believe it. Those are two really good places to start. He continues on talking about morale. He says a, a most potent factor in spreading this belief in the efficiency of an organization is a sense of discipline. We tried to make our discipline intelligent, but we were old-fashioned army and we insisted on outward signs. We expected soldiers to salute and officers to salute in return, both in mutual confidence and respect. I encouraged all officers to insist whenever possible, and there were few places where it was not possible, on good turnout and personal cleanliness. It takes courage, especially for a young officer, to check a man met on the road for not properly saluting or for slovenly appearance. But every time he does, it adds to his stock of moral courage, and whatever the soldier may say, he has respect for the officer who does pull him up. Now, this is an interesting point, right? Because what we're talking about here is, oh, I see Echo's you know, not wearing his uniform correctly, so I'm gonna go over and tighten you up. Mm. That is you can see where you can see where people are probably thinking, yeah, Jock will be all over that guy, mm. right? No, actually wrong. That's uh, that's actually wrong. And what we're going to talk about here is I'm going to talk about what I call leadership capital. 
you only have so much leadership capital in your bank and you've got to decide what as a leader you're gonna spend that capital on and if I see you out of uniform or you're looking sloppy I've got to decide if it's worth me investing my leadership capital and going over and telling you that you need to tighten it up hey echo you need to get that hey Sergeant Charles, you need to get your uniform squared away. You look like crap. You're setting a bad example. Is that what I want to invest my leadership capital on? Now, can it be sometimes? Yes, absolutely. And we've talked about the many cases where that occurs. You know, when you look at at Hackworth, when Hackworth showed up to Vietnam as a battalion commander, he tightened up their uniform standards immediately. Mm. He tightened them up immediately. He knew he needed to invest that leadership capital. He needed to start with the small things. But if you're in a garrison situation and you see somebody that maybe isn't doing their isn't wearing their uniform properly and you decide you're going to go tighten them up i'm not i'm not saying it's the wrong answer and and as Leif Babin will tell you it's not what you preach it's what you tolerate and so if you tolerate the guys looking like crap they're just going to continue going down that hill of looking like crap now to me there's a certain point right that i won't let you go past mm. if you're a little out of the out of the standard maybe I'm gonna let that one slide a little bit right but once you get to a point where you're looking like crap well guess what I am absolutely gonna tighten you up mm. and I'm gonna explain to you why it's important I'm, gonna exp- I'm not just gonna go and yell at you no not happening so you've got to be careful how you ration your your discipline and your leadership capital right mm. if you just run around yelling at everyone or getting in everyone's face for every little thing that they're doing yeah. pretty soon you could look at that like well pretty soon they'll ha- they'll be scared of making a mistake but that's that's the point now you got mm. people that are scared of making a mistake yeah now you're cutting off their ability to th- and their desire to think freely so the bottom line with this balance mm. you got to stay balanced in these things and don't waste your leadership capital I was talking to a guy the other day he was running a off-site for his executive team and I talked to him and and he said man you know it was just junk and I said well, what happened and he had showed up to the executive off-site and he's in the company and he's the guy that's running the off-site and he gets there and he says all right guys no, while we're here no cell phones so everyone put your cell phones away we need to focus this is a strategic meeting we need to we need to get this done so the guys put their cell phones away and they start the meeting. He's, he says five minutes into the meeting, the CEO breaks out his cell phone, starts looking at it. A minute after everyone sees that, you got half the room looking at their cell phones. Yeah. And he went like, got kind of nuts on him. You know, this is man, what, what's going on? And people aren't even paying attention. You know, after the first, first hour, he's this, you know, what's going on? And I said to him, I said, bro, let's look at what you just, so then he said, then he lost him. Like the, the meeting just went downhill. Yeah. And I said to him, let's talk about what you did. Because you invested your leadership capital for this important meeting on telling people to not use their cell phones. Did you tell them why? He's like, not really. Did you explain to them when they would be able to use their cell phones? No, I didn't. So you just went, now this company is a, a, a financial company. They've got a lot of things going on. You can imagine the CEO of a big financial company has got a lot of important calls and emails to check and all that. Mm. And all of a sudden he gets told no cell phone. When is that going to end? Yeah. What, what important thing is happening at, at my company today where I'm not allowed to talk on my cell phone and answer emails or look at, look at my emails and I'm the guy. 
So, so when am I supposed to, when would I be able to look at it? You didn't tell me that. Mm-hmm. So he invested all of his leadership capital to get people to do no cell phones. And he spent it. And there wasn't any left. And, and the, you know, so you have to be careful. Now, you have to approach it the right way, right? First of all, you could say, hey, listen, guys, we're going to power through a solid hour right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, unless it's just critical, keep your cell phones put away and let's power through this. Let's get some good conversation going, right? And, and in an hour, we're going to take a 20-minute break where you can catch up when you got to catch up on. And then we'll do another hour after that. So now people understand what's happening and they understand why. And by the way, you know, if, we, if everyone's on their cell phones, we're not going to get what we need out of this meeting. So you got to explain and you don't want to invest your leadership capital on things that don't matter. So if you're the senior guy in a leadership position and you're focused on some little person that's out of uniform and that's what your focus is, that's, that's not a good focus to have, right? Yeah. You should set the standard and your, your subordinate leadership all the way down to the front where you've got like you and me are peers and I don't let you. I'm the one, not, I'm not waiting for the boss to come by and tighten up your uniform. I won't let you tighten up. Your, I, I won't let you wear a crappy looking uniform. Mm. That's what I want. I want to have a gang mentality mm. where we're self-policing because the minute I'm from the top doing that, again, does this happen sometimes? Yes. I'm not setting out a, a, a black and white rule here. Yeah. I'm giving the broad guidance that if you're Hackworth and you're taking over a battalion where people's lives are at risk and you know that there's slack everywhere and they're not doing a good job, you gotta go in there and tighten them up. And one of the best ways to do that is to go in there and start on the small things. Mm. But if you've got a functioning unit that there's nothing critical happening and you're trying to build that team into something that's that's a, a, a winning team and the first thing you could do is go in and focus on some of these small things when you haven't really established yourself that could be problematic. So, think about those things when you're in those positions. Yeah. <laughs> All right, going back to the book. I do not say that the men of the 14th Army welcomed difficulties, but they grew to take fierce pride in overcoming them by determination and ingenuity. From start to finish, they had only two items of equipment that were never in short supply, their brains and their courage. They lived up to the unofficial motto I gave them, God helps those who help themselves. And once again, that's the same thing that Colonel Bill Reeder said. Mm-hmm. Gotta help yourselves. All right, now we're gonna move on to still, still talking about morale. We're gonna talk to, we're gonna hear from Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery. If you don't know who that is, Monty. World War One, the Anglo-Irish War, the Palestine conflicts that dis or uprisings, and World War Two. He, you know, obviously ran the British Eighth Army. World War Two. So we've once again we've got a person with some very solid perspective on leadership and combat leadership the quality of morale back to the book in war the moral stature of some men increases and their characters grow stronger and more closely knit in proportion to the discomforts and dangers they are called upon to face boom so some guys get better some guys rise to the occasion. Back to the book. Such men will occasionally perform in battle remarkable acts of selfless courage and daring and will endure with extraordinary fortitude and patience the burdens thrust upon them. 
Other men, however, will under the stress of hardships or dangers surrender to fear or fatigue and allow their characters to disintegrate. This disintegration will usually take the form of a loosening of the moral fiber, which results in timidity of action and slackness in appearance, while those who have gone to seed will be dirty and their appearance will be sluggish and will be slovenly. In these later cases, there has been a general loosening of character due to partial surrender to fear. So I totally agree with this. You see in combat situations, people either get better or they get worse. Some people just kind of cruise, right? Stay in that same zone, but, but some people, they get better or they get worse. They rise to the occasion or they fall. Back to the book. The good soldier, the man with high morale, has not surrendered to fear and has maintained his personal standards. The bad soldier, the man with low morale, has become incapable of independent action and has to some extent shed a part of his human individuality. That's an interesting, that's an interesting statement. That the person that's incapable of, in, of independent action, he's saying he shed some of his human individuality. Back to the book, Basic Factors of Morale, we now must consider the factors, con- what, what factors constitute morale of the soldier in the heat of battle. Certain factors may be described as essential conditions without which high morale cannot exist. These four basic factors are one, leadership, two, discipline, three, comradeship, and four, self-respect. A fifth factor, devotion to cause, must exist but need not necessarily influence all the soldiers. Finally, there are numerous contributory factors which are of great importance but are not essential conditions. Starting with this first one, leadership. Morale is, in the first place, based on leadership. Good morale is impossible without good leaders. Human beings are fundamentally alike in that certain common characteristics apply to all men in varying degrees. In battle, the most important of these characteristics is fear. All men are afraid at one time or another to a greater or lesser extent. In moments of fear, they band together and look for guidance. They seek for a person to give decisions they look for a leader. The leader's power of decision results from his ability to remain calm in the crisis. His greatest asset is the ability to act normally in abnormal conditions, to continue to think rationally when his men have ceased to think, to be decisive in action when they are paralyzed by fear. A little bit of normal face from Monty. Act normally in abnormal conditions. Remain calm. Back to the book. The object of training must be first to select those who possess them within them the potentialities of leadership and secondly to develop these potentialities. This is accomplished by giving the leader responsibility. The leader's character will develop in proportion to the responsibility with which he has been entrusted. So there you go. He's saying the same thing that we were talking about earlier. You have certain potentials 
and you got to develop those and how do you develop them with people you give people you want to develop leaders you give them responsibility you don't give them responsibility that's going to kill them but you give them responsibility that's going to definitely test them and they're going to have to step up to be able to perform back to the book the two vital attributes of a leader are a decision in action and b calmness in crisis given these two attributes he will succeed without them he will fail our great problem in peace is to select leaders it's to select as leaders men whose brain will remain clear when intensely frightened so from monty you got to remain calm mm. Now he's going to talk about discipline. The object of discipline is the conquest of fear. There are two aspects of fear. Fear can suddenly attack a man through his imagination. A corpse in a ditch or a grave by the far side of the road will remind him of his position. He will suddenly realize that he himself is liable to be killed. It is a function of discipline to fortify the mind so that it becomes reconciled to unpleasant sights and accepts them as normal everyday occurrences. Fear can also creep upon a man during periods of monotony on the line. At such time, he will have the opportunity to appreciate the dangers which beset his life. Fear acting through his thoughts can so reduce the man's hard core of courage that he will become nervous and fearful. Discipline strengthens the mind so that it becomes impervious to the corroding influence of fear. It teaches men to confine their thought within certain definite limits. It instills the habit of self-control. That's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing assessment to think that the one of the best premier tools to overcome fear is discipline. Back to the book, discipline implies a conception of duty. Nothing will be accomplished in the crisis by the man without a sense of duty. Makes sense. Now he's gonna talk about comradeship. Back to the book, morale can not be good unless men come to have affection for each other. A fellow feeling must grow up which will result in a spirit of comradeship an army is made of human beings so that however much a leader may inspire his men however perfect the discipline the morale will be hard and unsympathetic if the warmth of comradeship has not been added so yeah you got to be got to be the hardcore disciplinarian but you need the warmth of comradeship back to the book war though a hard business is not necessarily a grim one men must laugh and joke together must enjoy each other's company company and must get fun out of even life must get fun out of life even in times of danger so do you want to have a good time yes you do and the the thing that makes these dangerous times more bearable is when you're having fun during them and that's one of the things you know i don't talk a whole lot about seal training in here on on the podcast but one of the things that you do in seal training is you're doing miserable things cold wet tired and you're having fun the whole time 
You're yeah. learning that, hey, guess what? I can sit here and be cold and it's miserable or I can be cold and I can laugh about it. Yeah. And I can make fun of my friend the way he's shivering. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, that's what makes it bearable. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens when you get overseas and you joke about really dark things, you know, dark sense of humor, that comes out real strong. Yeah. When you're overseas, and yeah. <laughs> one of my one of my buddies who was super paranoid, I've talked about him on here before. The guys, the guys found a tube that had shipped like maps or something, and if you pulled the tube apart real fast, it sounded like a mortar lo- a mortar <laughs> launch. Right, and right. so they'd get outside his tent, and he was super paranoid. We we spent a, a little bit of time getting mortared, and so he was a little on edge from that. Yeah. So they'd go outside of his tent. You know, and you can hear through the tent. It's just a little piece of fabric. They'd go outside of his tent and they'd pull that thing, and it would sound like a mortar tube. <laughs> and you'd hear, him, <laughs> you'd hear, him, he'd freak. You know, what the hell are you guys doing? Yeah. No, or you know, at first you'd hear him like fall and like hit the ground, <laughs> and then you'd hear the giggling of the guys outside, and then you'd hear him cussing everyone out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it was fun. It was funny. Too far, bro. a little too far, maybe. <laughs> but but everyone's having a good time, and even yeah. him, you know, we'd get done, and he would be come outside. You guys are bastards, and we'd laugh about it. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where you're you got to have fun in these tough situations. Yeah, it, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's probably why you know, like nowadays, like contemporary companies, they in court, like you know, Jade's company, Frag Mom, they got foosball, yeah, ping pong, things, and ping I heard pong. I heard massive noises the other day. And I was kind of sounded like like a mortar some, fire. It wasn't quite mortar <laughs> fire, but there was something I didn't know what it was. And they yeah. were they were in a in a Nerf gun firefight. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it was sloppy. Like no one knew what they were doing. <laughs> no technique. Yeah, there was no cover and move happening. It was just all every man for himself. I was yeah. pretty disappointed. Yeah, but that's the re- but they're that having seems fun. Like the reason, right? Where yeah. it's it's. I mean, they, these are. Di- I mean. Conceptually, it's the same thing. Obviously, you know, it's way different. No, actually, it's way different, but it's not actually not. Right, when you're right. going through tough things in a business, in a company, yeah. have fun with it. And when I work with companies that are good, good companies, and they're going through something tough, the ones that have good morale, the ones that are laughing, they're the ones that do better. Yeah. Who wants to go to work? Yeah. If you don't enjoy the people yeah, you're working it just with, sucks. you know, yeah. like why would you want to do that? You know, mm-hmm. one of the one of the. Uh, I hate even calling it the worst job, but I, I was the admiral's aide, right? So every day I'm wearing a uniform. I'm in sitting at a desk all day. I did it for 13 months. It was just that part of it. It's it's you know even th- it's just a miserable job, right? Mm-hmm. Luckily, first of all, the admiral's a great guy, and I had a lot. You know, we I joked around all the time with him, and his executive assistant is a guy that l- I would literally. Not I would go two or three weeks at a time and we wouldn't say one serious thing to each other Just everything would be some Joke about every all the misery that we were going through and and by misery I just mean you know hours worth of meetings and traveling all the time and being on the road and staying in crappy hotels and flights getting you know bumped and canceled and being held over and the the admiral's Suitcase not showing up somewhere and he's supposed to go on stage. He doesn't have a uniform with him and like that's you know not fun yeah. but guess what I had fun the whole time and we'd be joking about right. you know I'd say well I guess I'm gonna get take take one again for the team and we'd yeah. be just laughing yeah so yeah even in these situations that aren't fun have you got to have fun with them and that definitely will help out your morale and if you're in a leadership position and all you do is just 
bear, you know, get, get drown in the misery that you're going through. Yeah. Every single person that's with you is going to be going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, as a leader, you got to once again going back to the dichotomy of leadership. You gotta you gotta know when okay the guys are under too much stress they're not having fun I need to have fun I need to start a nerf war yeah. in the in the office here so guys loosen up and then there's times where hey guys are having too much fun and we gotta tighten them up yeah yeah like hey guys we got this to do and so you gotta ride that that line and balance it out correctly yeah yeah it's cool how um, like newer companies that or companies nowadays are are incorporating that element into the the actual company you know you're talking about yes you're right and there's companies nowadays that do it too much and all of a sudden they can't get anything done yeah they're messing around because everyone's playing ping pong right (laughs) everyone's in the lego room because they got rooms now where it's like oh you go in there and think and right. build, play with Legos because yeah. that relaxes your mind, I guess. Yeah. Not me. When I'm around Legos, I think I'm going to step on them. <laughs> Sorry. Because I got kids. And I've stepped on Le- Legos. It's yes. a nightmare. So I don't like being around Legos. I got the PTSD from Lego <laughs> stepping when I was had, my kids were younger. Lego PTSD. You know, because you can't ever get your son enough Legos, apparently. No, correct. Because they just need everything. And when I was a kid, there was not that many different types of Legos. Mm. You had blocks. Right. Long ones. And shorter ones, yeah, right? Yeah. Nowadays, you get Legos, but they have hands and arms <laughs> yeah. and machine guns, and they got cool stuff. But they yeah. ain't Legos anymore; they're yeah. little toys. Right, but they right. still come with the little Legos, and they still hurt the bottom of your feet when <laughs> you step on. <laughs> they are surprisingly sharp for kids. Major toys, sharp, you know. Yeah, major sharp. All right. Going back to the book, he's the other thing he talked about was self-respect. No man can be said to possess high morale if the quality of self-respect is lacking. And this is something that Dick Winters talked about too, that self-respect and, and how that drove him. Soldiers must be encouraged to respect themselves at all times and under all condition. Self-respect implies a determination to maintain personal standards of behavior. A man who respects himself will allow neither himself to become slovenly nor his quarters dirty. Even in action, he will take care to see that his personal appearance suffers as little as possible. It is the job of the non-commissioned officer to maintain this aspect of discipline. It is the function of the officer to encourage and instill self-respect. So, interesting, he breaks that down a little bit like I was talking about. If I'm the senior guy and I'm around yelling at people about how they're looking, that's not good. Mm. That should be my subordinate leadership should be tightening that stuff up. Mm, Okay, here's his conclusion. Again, this is Monty talking. In brief, high morale has been defined as the quality which makes men endure and show courage in times of fatigue and danger. The cultivation of morale depends on the training of leaders and inculcation of discipline, the encouragement of comradeship, and the infusing of self-respect. The leaders must have a belief in their cause and they must pay attention to numerous contributory factors of considerable but secondary importance. We live today in a scientific age, but we soldiers have to remember that the raw material in which we have to deal is men. Man is still the first weapon of war. His training is the most important consideration in fashioning of a fighting army. All modern science is directed towards his assistance, but on his efforts 
depends the outcome of the battle. The morale of the soldier is the most important single factor in war. So there's Monty. And that's that can be said for just about any organization. What your organization is made up of is people. And you know you hear that with businesses all the time. They, our people are our most important assets. That's generally going to be the case. Mm. Here's some. Now we get into the leadership, the actual leadership section. Interesting. Again, they start off with morale. That's the first chapter. Now they move into leadership. And you know clearly from what he just said, morale is the most important thing in winning battle. I don't agree. Mm. I think leadership is the most important thing. Now, his number one, his number one. Uh, factor in good morale is leadership Mm -hmm. so i guess you know you could see where we're coming from a different angle but my my thought is a little bit different my thought is the most important thing is leadership and Mm -hmm. i think that leadership covers other things just be besides the morale of the men because now we're talking about the strategy that you use and the tactics that you're using everything is covered by leadership including morale yeah so you guys are looking at it from uh, not opposite but just Varying perspectives yeah. where he thinks leadership is part of morale. You think morale yeah, is part of leadership. I think morale leadership. is part of leadership, yes. I think you have identified the situation correctly. All right, here's some more from Monty on leadership. I would define leadership as the will to dominate together with the character which inspires confidence. A leader has got to learn to dominate the events which surround him. He must never allow these events to get the better of him. He must allow nothing to divert him from his aim. He must always be on top of his job and be prepared to accept responsibility. So Monty's talking about ownership. Now what I have to caveat this with is you get these people that are single-minded, right? And that they're going to dominate everything that's going on around them. And they do that from a tactical perspective, not from a strategic perspective. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you say, um, I must never, or I must dominate the events which surround me. And must allow nothing to divert me from my aim. That can actually be problematic. If it doesn't make strategic sense, Mm -hmm. right? So, if I'm always worried about dominating everything that's going on around me. And the thing that's going on around me isn't really that important. I'm wasting my time on it. Yeah. So this has to this has to be sort of offset a little bit by that dichotomy of leadership, which is yes, you want to dominate what's going on, but if what's going on isn't important, you need to let it go. Mm. You need to just let it go a little bit. Mm. All right. So now we're going to hear from. Gen- and by the way, this book, what this book served to lead, it's. It's basically a bunch, I should have said this in the beginning, but it's it's a bunch of small excerpts. Mm. Bigger than quotes, some of them are just quotes, which I don't do a bunch of like, hey, just reading quotes. I do a couple, I'm gonna do a couple today. Mm. But some of them are like, you know, two, three, four pages of people's views on leadership, of which I'm pulling out some of the highlights. Mm. And interestingly, for the first time, I was going through some of this and I was like, you know what? I'm actually, it was something that I've, it's something that I've said a million times. And so I said, you know what? I'm not actually going to highlight this again (laughs) because I've said it over and over again. Now, clearly with discipline, I just talked about it for 47 minutes and I probably always will when I get the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more about discipline. There's a whole section on discipline we'll get to. All right. Now we're going to talk. 
we're gonna hear from General John Hackett again uh, World War two African campaign it's part of Market Garden which is the big airborne operation the World War two then here's what he says I am a soldier in speaking of leadership I do so as a soldier and when I think about it as any soldier often must I do so in the context of battle pressures in battle are high and in battle as a consequence the problems of leadership stand out in bold relief and that's something very similar to what what I say which is combat is like life amplified and intensified Mm. wrote that in extreme ownership and that's what I'm talking about and because it's that way it's very easy to identify what's going on with the leadership it's very the, the the problems of leadership stand out in bold relief he said it better than me Back to the book. But while battle may be unique, the problems that it exposes are not. Right? Yes, leadership problems, and I've been working for seven years with other companies and people that are not going to battle. And guess what? The problems that battle exposes are not unique to battle. For leadership is concerned with getting people to do things and is most keenly needed when difficulties doubts and dangers are at their greatest in whatever sphere this is attempted the problems are essentially similar so anytime you've got a team you got trying to make them do something the problems are pretty much going to be similar back to the book i said that leadership was concerned with getting people to do things what i meant was getting them to do things willingly So we don't want to just bark orders at people. That doesn't work. Doesn't work in business. Doesn't work on the battlefield. Will it work for five minutes? Yes, it will. Mm. Will I? Can I yell at you and get you to do something? Yep, sure. You're at, on monster.com looking for a new job when you get home. <laughs> yep. Back to the book. A man really only gets a full response from the men he leads by something approaching complete fusion of his own identity with the whole that he and they together form. So think about that. If you're in charge of something and you're a leader, you need to become that thing. You need to become that team. You need to become that goal. I like that one. And you can see when people get possessed, like you look at the modern business leaders today, those are people that... You know, Steve Jobs, he was like obsessed with the product. He was Apple. And yeah. that's one of those things that was so beneficial. Mm. Elon Musk, just like he is what he's trying to do. Yeah. Back to the book. Successful military leadership is impossible without the leader's total engagement in the task in hand and to the group committed to his care for its discharge and what's interesting about that I was talking to your brother uh, Jade Charles not too long ago actually it was pretty long ago and he and he said something to me and it was like a big revelation to him mm. and he was very is a very he had a good way of saying what I'm just reading about right now we were talking about something he was going to a meeting and he was gonna be you know talking about something there was some controversy about where they were gonna go and and he said that the person that cares the most wins and <laughs> that's a great statement and it's very true mm. it's not a hundred percent true mm. but the, the the percentage is very high up there mm. because if i just care about something so much and i'm gonna drive with it further than you if i care yeah. about this 
decision more than you do, yeah. I got a really good chance of winning. Yeah. Really good chance of winning. Yeah, it kind of seems like that translates into any goal. You yeah, know? any goal. The more you care about it, the, the, the more probability. Yeah, I guess the only, the only place where it becomes problematic is if I, uh, I care about something, you know, at 97, level 97, sure. and you care about with an a opposite decision, yeah. you're also at level 97. Oh, dang, yeah. Now we got an issue. Yeah. Now we got a problem because we're both going to think we're going to win and we both believe that we need to win. So yeah, now it's gonna, going the distance. Now we got an ego scenario going on, and things become oh, problematic. Yeah. And and you know the, where this just becomes stupid is in the when you hear people having political, I'm using air quotes on that one, political yeah. debates around something. Yeah, you know, and this person totally believes 100, percent and this person totally cares 100, percent and they're going to go nuts on each other, and they don't yeah. listen to anything that the other person says, and you end up with a big disaster on your hands of nonsense. Yeah, a lot of those. What would it be political diet? That's another one. Yeah, uh, you know, exercise. I was listening. I was listening to our podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and we and what were we talking about? We were talking. About, oh, I was talking about watching people on the news, mm-hmm. and that's a classic situation where you, you know you got somebody on a f- three minute segment, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. one person is you know the hardcore in this direction, the other person is the hardcore in the other direction. The, they both care. They both care a lot. Yeah. Neither one of them is going to win. They yeah. they actually that that goes the next that's the next realization is that if you're going up against person that cares as much as you do mm-hmm. you actually have to take a back step and find another way you have to flank them yeah. because you're not going to be able to win them by going head to head they care as equal to you yeah so you've got to find a new solution yeah otherwise you know mm-hmm. what you'll do expend all your ammunition charging machine gun nests and you will die yeah yeah you don't okay. want to do that. If you care as much as me and I don't have the same opinion, I've got to flank you. Yeah, a lot of these. Probably going to let you think you just won the argument in order to flank you too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, again, the political, religion, diet, uh, how to raise kids, you know, all these are all, yeah. what do you, hot button, is yeah. that what you call it? The hot things button. that you're not supposed to talk to or talk about yeah. around the Thanksgiving dinner yeah, table. Yeah, they get heated real quick. Yeah. And, you, and a lot of times... We're talking about uh, you know people or not people, but we talk about how much someone cares about it, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, a lot of times, the things that get mixed up is how much you care about it versus how much you care about your stance on it. Yeah. So they're subtly yeah. different, but it, and, it's a big and, difference. And there. rap, but then you got to put your ego into both those, right? That, because right, so my that, ego, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. Right. That, don't so want that, to do that. That means you care about your stance. So when you make yeah. it about yourself, that. But if you care about the issue, like if I say, if I, if me and you were having a, a a debate about kettlebell workouts or something yeah. and I like dumbbells you like kettlebell but I really care about the issue and the issue is what's the best exercises right. if I truly care about the, what the best exercise is and not about my stance on what the best I'm going to care about the real answer rather whether it's my answer or not so that's why I think like political all these other things they, they have that and it is it's just like how you said it's the ego yeah. natural thing but they wind up caring more about their stance on it then they do yeah, the actual issue, just, just, you yeah, know, for sure. Yeah. Don't let that happen. Watch out for that one. So yeah, the 97, not 97, but the, the person who cares the most wins doesn't apply to someone's individual stance on something. It yeah. applies to yeah. subject. And it also doesn't apply to, you know, a jujitsu match. Cause I might really <laughs> care about winning. You know, I was thinking <laughs> no, about this yeah. the other day. Yeah, that's Cause true. that's another thing people say mental. Oh, it's all mental. And here's an example, Alex Honnold, who's a rock climber who just 
climbed El Capitan in Yosemite, which is 3,000 feet tall. And you, you people say, oh, it's all mental. And, <laughs> and people say things, you know, if you want something bad enough, right, you right. can do it. Yeah. You put me on that rock, there's a, some crux move like 2,000 feet up, 2,000 feet up that's really hard and you're smearing, which is this technique in rock climbing where you don't, and I've done it before, and I'm, I'm like the lowest white belt. I'm not even a white belt. I'm like, I, like someone gave me my white belt in rock climbing. Like I'm, not, I'm not like a legit, but I know I've tried things. Right. I go to Yosemite and I'll play around on the rocks and everything, but I've tried this thing. It's called smearing, and, and you're basically just using the tread or just the bottom of your rock climbing shoes on flat granite. Mm. And you can create enough friction, oh, friction yeah, yeah. that you can you can move up it. And some people are really good at it. I suck. Huh. And you know you gotta you got your hand holds you're working too, but you're using your feet. And it's this really weird balance that you have to do because if you push too hard into the rocks, they I right. mean the, your feet slip off. Gotcha, yeah. And if you don't push hard enough, you don't get any lift. Mm. So it's this really fine like balance you've got to have. Yeah. And apparently there's one move or this one series of moves on this climb that he did that you have to smear. And of course, this is very natural for him. But apparently he climbed that section with a rope like six or seven times just to make sure it felt good and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Here's my point. Even if it wasn't smearing part, even if it was just holding on to rocks, right? At 2,000 feet, I would absolutely want really, really badly to hold on to the rocks. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have the muscular strength yeah. to do it. I mean, the things that he's holding on to are smaller than well, the first pad of your fingers. Yeah. That's what he's holding on to. Tiny. Yeah. And we were doing this the other day at my house, remember? Yep. That little thing. You actually had be- had stronger grip than me on the on the climbing board that I have at my house. Yeah. But I could I could couldn't even hold on. Right. Or I could hold on for five seconds and you like had no way. Did you hold on to the really small one? Yeah. Yeah, that's legit. I can't even hold on to that thing. So if I was 2,000 feet up and I really, 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 yeah. really, really wanted to do it and I was all mentally in the game, guess yeah. what? I'm falling to my death. Right. Because I don't have the strength to do it. Yeah. I don't have the physical strength and I need to build it. And okay, you could say, and that that might be an acceptable answer. Okay, if you really have the mental strength and will to do it, then you'll trade train super hard right but at that moment not yeah. gonna help me i'm yeah. falling to my death right yeah so. i think that's not a metaphor but like a it's a it's like a it's romantic. reality oh yeah it's a romantic thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah if you yeah. want it bad enough yeah. you can do it no actually not true i want to i want to take the extreme version i want to stay alive i'm two thousand feet up i want really badly to stay alive yeah. doesn't matter yeah. I can't get across that section. I can't. Don't have the hand strength to do it. Not yeah. happening. Yeah. But they're making a movie about that. I can't wait to see it about Alex Honnold climbing that rock. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Chin is the famous kind of photographer guy that they went and documented the whole thing. And apparently, one of the articles said that during that crux moment, Alex Honnold was like, "Hey, when we get to here, just like back off with the cameras." He he he. Apparently, was like, "You know, just back off with the cameras when I go through." You know, section ninety four alpha, because why? I think he thought he didn't need any cameras around real close when he might fall to his death. Dang, it's that heavy, yeah. Like, well, or is it because it might break his concentration, or both? I don't know. I don't know, but that's crazy. Yeah. Have you ever been to Yosemite? No. It's it's 
El Capitan is 3,000 feet straight up of granite. It takes people three, four, five days to climb up it. Damn. He climbed it in three hours and 45 minutes with a chalk bag and a pair of shoes. Damn. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's completely ridiculous. 3,000 feet. That's very tall, Echo. You're trying to imagine it? Let me help no, you. No, I mean, it's you know. It's <laughs> taller than anything you've ever seen. It's taller than a, than a skyscraper in San right. Diego. It's, it's yeah. huge. And he climbed it with no ropes. That means there's no rest. That means there's no break. Yeah. And, and it means there's no mistakes. You can't make a mistake. If you make a mistake, you die. Yeah. Crazy. Very impressive. I don't even know why we're talking about Alex Arnold right now. Oh, because we're talking mental. about the mental will. Yeah, yeah. Whoever believes it the most yeah. wins. Whoever believes it the most wins. Oh, cares about it. Sorry, not believes it. Yeah. Cares, cares and about as it. much as I care about staying alive, yeah. I wouldn't be able to pull it off. Yeah. I think in Jade's situation that it it did make sense, though. You know, because you're, you know. No, hey, I'm actually saying about... it does make sense. Yeah, yeah. It does make sense. And that's why I was able to do a lot of stuff that I've been able to do in my career. Right. Uh, when I was in the mil- military, a lot of the stuff that I was able to get done I was able to get done because I cared about it more right. than anybody else. Okay. Yeah. yeah I like that. you think you're going to, you know, you think you're going to outperform my task unit. I care about this so much. I don't care. I, I, I care about this so much. You're not going to be able to compete with me. Yeah. Because you might think, oh, I'll get there at five o'clock in the morning. I've been there for an hour. You might yeah, think yeah. I'm going to have my guys drill this 10 times. I'm going to have my guys drill it 20 times. I care about this too much for you to win. Right. You can't beat me. Yeah, you yeah. can't beat me. It's not going to happen. I care about this too much. Not in a bad way. Not in a selfish way. I care about this. I love this. Right. This is everything f- to me. You know how you have other things going on and you got your wife and you got your family and you got this other thing going on in your life and you got goals that you want. I don't care about any of those things. Mm. This is all I care about. So therefore, you can't compete with me. Mm. And that's pretty cool. It's a cool place to be. Right. And get overseas people are thinking about all these other things. No, you don't care about anything I don't care about anything else. This is the only thing I care about Yeah. So well, It ends up getting boiled down to just not stopping right not not quitting not giving up Yeah, not, not that definitely plays a role that definitely plays a role and of course there's got to be balance mm. because if Let's say I don't care about let's say you know my my focus is 100% my seal task unit But then I forget about the fact that we're working with our other army units and the only thing I care about is my unit. Well, no, actually, I need to care about the mission more, right? right I need right. to care about our strategic, where we're going strategically. Mm. Because otherwise, I'm thinking, oh, I just want to get my guys taken care of. I just want to get my guys more work. I just want to get, mm. no. Actually, I, I do. What care? What trumps my care for the task unit was care for the mission and what we're trying to accomplish. Mm. Now, luckily, those two things are completely aligned. So yeah. there was never any time where I was thinking, oh, should I do this to benefit the task unit or benefit the mission? No, no. If it benefited the mission, it benefited the task unit. If it benefited the task unit, it benefited the mission, period. Mm. So I care about those things, you're gonna have a hard time competing with me. And luckily, in Ramadi, there wasn't any competition. We were all working together. That's what was so amazing about it. Yeah. Was Army, Marine Corps, us, Everyone was just working together to accomplish missions because that's what you get when you get a nasty battlefield You get people working together All right Another piece this is a guy named general Monsell war is preeminently the art of the man who dares to take the risk of the man who thinks deeply and clearly of the man who, when accident intervenes, is not thereby cast down, 
but changes his plans and disposition with the readiness of a resolute and reflective mind which so far as is possible has foreseen and provided against difficulties there you go that's what we're talking about oh accident intervenes cool good I'm not cast down change plans adapt back to the book no now no man can inspire confidence in others who is not confident in himself and self-confidence comes from knowledge a thorough understanding of modern weapons and organization tactics and the details of administration affecting all those under his command must therefore be acquired by every leader he must show his troops that he can plan soundly lead resolutely and deal promptly and effectively with the unexpected in addition to gain full confidence of his troops a leader must have their personal friendship and trust I like that again I've there was a there was a seal officer that once was briefing guys and said if, if your guys if you if your people like you they then they uh, you're not doing a good job yeah. and not true he's yeah. actually saying they need your trust and personal friendship and trust yeah, weren't you saying something like that? That even that, you can't push that too far. Well, of course, right? yeah, when you, you, you got to balance that yeah. kind of leadership. You can't be such close friends that you're choosing uh, that you're putting one person yeah. as more important than the mission or the team. Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. dichotomy of leadership. Dichotomy. Okay, now he puts together this list, which. Yeah, we're, we're, we're feeling pretty good about this one. A short list to leadership given as follows. Perfect your military knowledge, study the use of weapons, their tactical handling, the enemy's character and methods, and way to make use of ground. So I don't care what job you're in, apply those, right? Know your tools. Mm-hmm. Know the enemy. Know your competitor. Next, study the men under your command. Know them well and be known to them. Gain their confidence by your knowledge, energy, and skill, and by your interest in their welfare. Always be cheerful with them, however you may feel. Teach yourself to think out reasoned appreciations, leading to clever but uncomplicated plans, quickly and unhurriedly. So there you go. Keep things simple. Know your people. Get the. I like it says know your people. Get them to know you too. That's important. Next, study methods of deception and make full use of them. Always aim at misleading the enemy. Always seek surprise. Keep your object clearly before you. Concentrate your efforts and resources at the decisive point. Always think well ahead. Prioritize and execute. Work out the best methods of control in different tactical situations. Practice them constantly. Study the situation carefully. Don't waste any time. Make up your mind and stick to it. Get out your orders quickly. Make certain that everyone clearly knows what you intend to be done. Commander's intent. Maintain the initiative. Make opportunities and seize them at once. I like that. Make opportunities. Boy, do I like that. Don't wait for them to come. Be prepared to take risks, but don't be foolhardy. Know your commander's intention and act in accordance with it. Don't wait for orders. Inaction is always wrong. So there you go. This is just reiterating things that I talk about all the time. 
never take counsel of your fears think of the enemy's difficulties and how you can take advantage of them remember that it is willpower that wins oh he's he's going off he's not talking about caring he's talking about will which will goes a long way never relax your efforts until victory is won attend to the comfort of the troops before you think of your own this is all just phenomenal stuff be loyal to your superiors and your subordinates express your views clearly and frankly but when a decision has been reached fully support it and stop all criticism never take shelter behind others when things for which you are responsible have gone wrong take some ownership oh I like this one refrain from jealousy resentment and self-seeking be tactful never make friction be thoughtful and considerate but maintain firm discipline think about how bad this think about the dichotomy of that be thoughtful and considerate but maintain firm discipline never order troops to do what you are not prepared to do yourself never give an unnecessary order that's a good one Think about that one. Never give an unnecessary order. And I'll tell you why I like that one is because if you're doing a good job as a leader, orders should barely even be necessary. Yeah. They should barely even be necessary. I talked about this with Leif the other day. I I mean I'm, we, I'm sure we could go back through, you know, the history of tasking a bruiser. But as we, we were having a conversation, we were working with a company, I don't think I ever gave an order to either one of my two platoon commanders, either Leif or the Delta platoon commander. I don't think I ever said, this is what you're going to do. That's an order. Yeah. Like you see in the movies, <laughs> That's right? That's what I was going to ask. Do they say that? Do they ever say that? Does anyone if, ever say that? That's say an order? That, if you, yes, it can be said. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm sure it's been, I, I, I think it's been said to me before. No, more like an admit like not administrative situation I don't know if anyone's ever said it to me before like that's an order I don't know if yeah. I, I, I'm trying to think of there's been some situation where someone said to me like hey basically like you've pushed far enough Jocko yeah. stand down uh, like I've okay. gotten one of those before yeah, like yeah. hey we get it Jocko you care about this a lot it's not happening stand down Let I've gotten go. some I especially got those when I was a little younger <laughs> <laughs> like when I was a young enlisted guy, I'd just oh, okay. be driving with an idea. I'd just be wanting to crush it, and mm-hmm. and people would be kind of saying, "Hey, well, no, we can't." Well, and I'd be like, "No, why can't? Why can't we? Why want? Why want? Why won't we do this? Yeah. We need to do this. This is the smart thing to do. You know, it's the right thing to do." And I would uh, just eventually uh, get like the little, "Hey, stand down. We're not doing it." Mm, okay, you know what I'm gonna do? Become an officer. I won't have to listen to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Stand so down. yeah, I've got. I think I've gotten a couple stand downs in my time. Stand down. That's an order. Because yeah. yeah, that's an order. That re- when you think about, or anyway, when I think about it, it really does seem like a movie line. Yeah, and the thing know. is, that means that you have not done a good job as a leader. If I have to say that's an order, right. that means I haven't done as good job as a leader. That means you don't understand the mission. You don't understand yeah. the intent. You don't understand. I haven't conveyed it to you properly. Yeah. And the only way I can get you to listen is by saying that's an order. Yeah, pulling rank. Yeah, pulling rank on you. That's not. Not a good not a good situation back to the book never overlook failure to carry one out so that's never given unnecessary order never overlook failure 
to carry one out. Some people will have to chime in with their opinions on that one. Never overlook failure to carry one out. I'm not sure on that one. What does that mean to carry one out? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. It says it says never order troops to do what you're not prepared to do yourself. Never give an unnecessary order. Never overlook failure to carry one out. To carry out an order? Yeah, to carry one out. Never overlook failure to carry one out. I'm not sure what he means by that. Interesting. I'm sure some people will give us some opinions on that one. Yeah. On the Facebook you and I release. Keep fit yourself and make certain that your men do too. Keep your own nerves under control and study your men's. Good. For like when you want to comment, if you're listening and you want to comment, you have an opinion on that one, put it on the Facebook post so it can follow the conversation as opposed to Twitter, which is 140 characters. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's easier to see it on Facebook when there's a legit question or someone has some legit big feedback. Mm -hmm. If you put it on the thread for podcast number 81 when I post it, Mm -hmm. that's the place to put in there in the replies. Yeah. When I can, like, converse back on that subject without having to go through 17,000 tweets. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then go back and forth. And this guy replied to him, but not him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all laid out on Facebook. So it's a good place to have those little conversations. Twitter, we have different kinds of conversations. Sure. Last of all, remember that success in war depends more than anything else on the will to win. Cool. Again, now we got Monty saying morale is the most important. We got Jocko saying leadership is the most important. And you got Brigadier General Monsell saying that the will to win is the most important. I'm not going to actually argue with either one of these guys. Yeah. <laughs> these guys are all uh, got all kinds of experience, but much more intense than mine. Speaking of intense experience more than mine, there's a guy, a pseudonym, meaning a fake name, Basilisk. And the guy wrote something called Talks on Leadership, and the guy's actual name was Alfred Byrne. And he was a World War One and World War Two veteran. And he was a military historian. And he's got a little section in here. It's called Being Straight. There is one trait in the character of a leader that above all things really counts. And it perhaps counts in war even more than in peace. Being straight. No amount of ability, knowledge, or cunning can ever make up for not being straight. Once those under him find out that a commander is absolutely straight in all his dealings with them and free from the slightest trait of self-interest other than the self-interest of which we are all guilty when striving for victory of causes we believe to be right, they will love him as their leader, trust him, work for him, follow him, and should the occasion arise, die for him with the fundamental ability of the British soldier, which comes to the surface when things are at their worst. So, being straight with your people, very important, very important. In fact, perhaps his most important, (laughs) above all. So now we got another factor that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. 
now you're gonna hear a little on leadership from Field Marshal Lord Herring, once again, World War One and World War Two veteran. He also fought in the Second Battle of Alamein. He was wounded, lost some fingers, recovered, got back to the fight. So he says about leadership here, there are some people who believe that leadership is something which is inborn or which you acquire automatically at a public school. But neither of those things are true. There are certain fundamental qualities which affect leadership and which depend to a very large extent on upbringing and the moral and spiritual values which you can learn, which you learn in your family and in your environment as a young man. But there is no special way, nor is there any special caste or class which has the prerogative of leadership. There are many forms of leadership. Political parties have their leaders. Every big organization in industry or commerce all have their leaders. And at the other end of the scale, so do dance bands and so do gangs of thieves and smugglers. There are many qualities that apply equally to every type of leader, but you and I are concerned with one particular type of leadership, to my mind, the highest type of all, and that is leadership on the battlefield. And I believe it to be the highest type because it has to be exercised under conditions of great difficulty and considerable danger. I would like to be quite, I would like you to be quite clear about the conditions under which you will have to exercise leadership. You will frequently be tired. You may also be cold and wet and hungry and thirsty. You may be dripping with sweat or you may be freezing with cold. You won't know precisely what is going on. You won't know exactly where the enemy is. You certainly won't know what he is going to do or what his capabilities are of doing anything. You may not know where your own people are or what they are going to do. To put it briefly, you've got to be able to exercise leadership in conditions of fatigue and fear, uncertainty and ignorance, and often in isolation. That is what makes it extremely difficult, and that is why leadership on the battlefield calls, in my view, for the highest qualities. Many qualities are required in a leader. Different people have different views about which are more important. In my opinion, there are five outstanding mental and physical, moral and spiritual qualities without which you cannot hope to be successful and a good leader on the battlefield. The first of those qualities is a mental and physical one, and that is fitness, absolute fitness of mind and body. So make sure you're getting your morning physical training in. Physical fitness, mental fitness. Next, then I would say you've got to have complete integrity. You've got to be honest, not only with yourselves, but with the men you lead and the people with whom you work. And honesty and integrity are things that you cannot compromise with. You cannot alter. If you do, you will lose confidence and you will not be able to lead. You must have complete integrity. So. That's the same thing as being straight. Yeah. Not after that. Not in any next, sorry, next after that. Not in any order of priority. But this is how I have put them down deep in my mind. There is an enduring courage. 
pretty well everyone can be brave for a few minutes most of us can if we steal ourselves to it take one plunge or make one decision or incur one risk but the sort of courage you must have to lead on the battlefield is an enduring courage and one that you will go that will go on when other people falter one that will enable you to do what you know to be right irrespective of the danger or the difficulty contrary often contrary to the advice of well-meaning friends so gotta have courage next then you must have daring initiative initiative means doing right away what you might if you had time think of doing a few minutes later I like this if you wait for things to happen to you they will happen all right and here I am quoting the words of my predecessor also spoken here they will happen to you but they won't be what you like and they certainly won't bring you success initiative means seeing at once and very quickly what needs to be done making up your mind to do it and then seeing it through to the bitter end so I love that one if you wait for things to happen to you they certainly will (laughs) a little bit more on willpower here then you must have undaunted willpower the willpower is the motive power it is what enables you to make yourself fit in mind and body to produce in you in your heart the courage the enduring courage that I spoke of to give you the courage to do your duty and to make the sacrifice that may be called from you it is the willpower that forces you to take the initiative to make the plan to do what is required to see it through and that willpower must be undaunted it must never allow itself to be overcome or subdued Perhaps the finest example living today of the power and influence for good of man with undaunted willpower is our Prime Minister. In one of the critical periods of the last war, he spoke certain words I am going to quote you now. He said, all the great struggles in history have been won by superior willpower, resting victory in the teeth of odds or upon the narrowest of margins. It is the willpower that is superior that can rest victory in the teeth of odds. That is the type of willpower that has got to be developed in a leader on the battlefield. Mobilize your will. Now he talks about some other qualities. He talks about knowledge. He talks about judgment. He talks about team spirit saying because you cannot get success on the battlefield by yourself you've got to work with other people so obviously as a leader you have to have that spirit of teamwork and closing out he says there's one other thing I would like to say to you as British officers you will never have all you want all you need You'll be short of this or that or the other. Sometimes you will be short of men. Other times your equipments or weapons may not be as good as you think they ought to be. Nor will you have as many as you would like. You may be short of ammunition. You may also be short of food and water or other necessary things. 
when these circumstances arise, as they do often throughout your service, both in peace and war, there's only one motto, and that is to make certain that you do the very best you can with what you got. Don't bellyache about what you have not got, but get on and make certain you do your utmost with what you have got. Now, to sum up what I've tried to say this afternoon, I would like to put it like this. First, keep fit, absolutely fit. Then, be honest, honest with yourselves and honest with those with whom you work. Then, have courage and make it an enduring courage. Next, be bold, be daring, and when there is a choice, take the bold and daring course. Make the very most of what you have got and never, never, never give in yes do what you can with what you've got until you really liked that one right yeah there. yeah sometimes it kind of starts hitting me <laughs> all right next there's a chapter in this book which is called discipline which makes me very happy and again, I tried to censor myself from not just doing the entire chapter. Obviously, you can buy this book if you want to see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There's some great points. This first one is from Field Marshal Earl Wavell, who was in the Boer Wars, and he was in World War One and in World War Two. Lost his left eye in the Battle of Ypres, so... We're talking a warrior here that was went back for service. Here's what he said about discipline. Discipline is teaching which makes a man do something which he would not unless he had learnt that it was the right, the proper, and the expedient thing to do. At its best, it is instilled and maintained by pride in one's self, in one's unit, in one's profession only at its worst by fear of punishment. So he's talking, we want self-discipline. We don't want imposed discipline. That's what he's saying. Mm. You don't want, I don't want you doing this because you're scared of me. If you don't do what I tell you, I'm gonna beat you. That's not what I want. I want you saying, I'm gonna do this because I want to do it. Mm. Here's a little something from Monty here. And we're gonna get some disagreements going. I'm gonna disagree with Monty. Sorry, Monty. I wish you were here to defend yourself. Okay, on discipline, Monty. The basis of training must be self-discipline. Cool. A man must learn to be the master of himself and to keep in subjection the bad qualities in his makeup. I love that. Self-discipline can be developed by training in such things as conception of duty, self-control, self-respect, endurance, and so on. We then have collective discipline, and there's no doubt that the initial training in this subject is best carried out by drill. Men must be taught instinctively to obey orders, whatever they are. I do not believe men will fight voluntarily for a cause without the iron bonds of discipline. The best form of discipline is subordination of self for the benefit of the community. So. I'm going to make some comments on those. Number one, when he's saying that you should obey orders regardless of what they are, 
don't agree. I don't agree with that. I want my men to question my orders. Mm. I want them to, if I'm telling them to do something that they don't think is smart, I want them to question me. Mm. I want them to come up with then a better solution. That's how we're gonna win. Mm. Even the, the moral thing too, right? Like to obey orders regardless. Oh like yeah, if, if they're wrong, immoral, immoral, oh for sure, illegal. for sure. I want my whole team to be, hey, if this is the wrong thing to do, we shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Next, the other one he says here is, he says that people won't fight for a cause without the iron bonds of discipline. I don't believe that that's true either. Hmm. And I think if you look at American history, guys, the, the, we didn't have this strict level. Of course, there's, there's discipline, of course, in the military. Mm-hmm. And there's imposed discipline in the military. But the things that people and all soldiers have accomplished without strict imposed discipline is They've given their lives over and over and over, thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of cases where men have given their lives, not because not because I said or because the leader said, go and charge this machine gun nest. That's, that's not why they did it. Mm. They did it because they believed in the cause. Mm. So I don't agree with that one. I think that men will fight voluntarily for a cause. Without the iron bonds of discipline. And you know when I think they do it? I think they do it when that cause is freedom. So when the cause is freedom, I believe men will fight without the bonds of discipline over them. Mm. And this idea that the best form of discipline is the subordination of self for the benefit of the community, I don't actually agree with that one either. I think the best form of discipline is when there is alignment in the discipline the discipline for the team and the individual bring success and survival and freedom and when those things are aligned that's when I think you get the finest form of discipline now he recovers a little bit from my criticism here (laughs) and of course to everyone that is Wondering why I'm sort of making fun of myself. It's pretty embarrassing to be sitting here and Disagreeing with a guy like Monty. So please don't take me the wrong way Um, Just giving my opinion here and I'm in no way (laughs) comparing my military knowledge with General Montgomery And he does say this the basis of all discipline is self-discipline which this is beautiful, and I agree with that 100%. This this self-discipline may come from within a person or may be imposed upon him from without. Don't agree. That'll only last a little while. Whatever its source, it involves the idea of self-control and self-restraint. That is true. But there is, I think it's called situational discipline, I think, or... Uh, what is that? I could, I could have the expression wrong, but I think it is situational. Just meaning, like if you're in a certain situation, mm-hmm. you'll have, you'll be really self-disciplined. But okay. once you get out, you're not. You know, like um, I don't know. You ever you ever watched 
No. You watch the big. <laughs> there's a show called The Biggest Loser. No. So yeah, it's a the, bunch of overweight it's people. people that are having weight problems. They go on a show. They yeah. get fed certain things, made to work out, and yeah. they lose a bunch of weight. Yeah. And then they win the program. And then when they go back home, and they're not around that imposed discipline, right? They lose it. Right. That's my point. Yeah. My point is that that imposed discipline, it works. Yeah. While you have the impos- imposer, yeah, yeah, they're they are watching the you. Yeah. What I would prefer is to have someone that makes a change in their mindset and yeah. develops self-discipline. Right. Now, so sometimes you can get that yeah. from imposed discipline and you realize like you get shown the freedom that it, discipline gives you and yeah. then you carry on with it. Like a lot of people that listen to the podcast and they've done incredible things with their lives because we weren't there to impose discipline on them, but they recognize themselves. Mm. Maybe they said, okay, you know what? I'm going to get up for the next two weeks. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat healthy. Two weeks go by. They've lost a little bit of body fat, they've gained a little bit of muscle, and they feel good. Right. And all of a sudden they realize the benefits of discipline. Yeah. And so they change their mindset and they become more disciplined human beings. Yeah. That's what I like. Yeah, yeah. What I don't like is that I'll run a boot camp on you and yell at you and scream at you. But that's right. another thing, people want me to yell and scream. <laughs> I get that. I think once or twice a day, someone will say, "You need to make an alarm clock where you yell and tell us, to tell me to get out of bed." Yeah, and I'm, I say get psychological warfare, but I'm not going to yell in psychological warfare because yelling isn't an effective tool yeah. compared to actually speaking to someone and letting them understand why it's important. Yeah, that's the preferred tool. Occasionally, do you got to yell at people? Occasionally, yes, you do. Occasionally, not very often though. Yeah, it's pretty rare, huh? But yeah, the. Yeah, you're right now with that situational discipline because even... Uh, Think about uh, what's worse. Somebody yelling at you or someone whispering at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually worse, isn't it? Someone uh, saying, Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. to me it's worse. Sure. Yelling and screaming, it just doesn't... No, re- and it really doesn't really matter what they're saying either no. if you choose wh- yelling or whispering because like, you know, even if they're telling you a normal thing like, hey, um, here, this is what I want from the store. I want avocados, tomatoes, and, you know, some wine. But what if I whisper it to you? Hey, hey, Jocko. Hey, come here, bro. That might freak me out, actually. <laughs> give, me, give me some avocados. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it did keep sure about that example. <laughs> no, no. You get that, that's the point. It doesn't really matter what they're saying, whispering versus yelling. Oh, yeah. It definitely has a different psychological <laughs> effect, for sure. Because <laughs> yeah, that definitely whisper. freaks me out. <laughs> You being, hey, Jocko, can you pick up a bottle of wine for us? <laughs> no, actually, I can't. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, the wine kind of makes it ex- extra awkward for sure. All right. So now we get into another part on discipline right here, and this is Sir John Fortescue. And I want you to pay attention to this one because then we start going sideways. Mm-hmm. I have in my mind rather those excellent but generally unthinking persons who shrink with horror from the idea of a man's abdicating his civil rights. What, they say, a man must obey even an unjust command under pain it may be of death? It is monstrous. For purposes of civil life it might be monstrous, but not for the purposes of implicit obedience, which is the thing that matters in the army. Let there be justice as far as possible by all means, but as a general principle, it is better for an army that an injustice should be done than that an order should be disobeyed. This, however, is an argument that cannot appeal to our 
to our imaginary objector because he has read no military history. So that's just very disturbing, this whole thing. And it really doesn't comply with anything that I say, which is I want you to question orders. And if they're not good orders, you shouldn't obey them. And he's saying, no, no, no. It's better to do something unjust as long as you're obeying orders. And I did a little bit of research about John Fortescue. And, you know, obviously I don't agree with this. And actually, in the new version of the book, mm-hmm. he the, the guy that writes the forward to the new version of this specifically calls out John Fortescue and says, we removed him. The him. He's gone from the book. Dang. And what I found out about him was yes, he was in the army. He was a major in the army. Um, but I don't think he was in any combat. And what I do know is that he was the Royal Librarian from 1905 until 1926, and he died in 1923. So he didn't go to World War I. Really, all these other guys are World War I, World War II, mm. veterans. Mm. He was the, the Royal Librarian. And it's interesting when he says because he has read no military. He doesn't say because he's never been in combat before. Mm. He says he's read that the person that would object to this has never read military history. Well, okay, so he's actually, going with the theory. Yeah, yeah, he's going with the theory. Yeah, and and if you want to take this and stretch it out more broadly, this attitude, you know, I hate World War One. I. I hate World War One because it was so based on obedience Mm. and you are going to charge we are going to charge this trench all 7,000 of us are going to charge tomorrow morning at 0630 we're going to go over the top we're going to get mowed down by machine guns and then the people are going to follow us and do the same thing and the the guys were so obedient Mm. and brave and just selfless to do that but this attitude is what made that war so devastating because no one said, hey, wait a second, this doesn't seem smart to me. Yeah. I just watched, you know, a two, three, four battalions or two, three, four regiments get mowed down. And now you're telling me I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow yeah. with my men. No, I want you to question my orders. I want you to say no. If I'm making you do something that doesn't make sense, I want you to say no. And if I can't explain it to you in a logical way, then I should rethink what I'm saying to you. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. John Fortescue, we're going to have to say that we've kind of changed our opinion on, on obedience. And there are more important things than obedience in a team, in a military team, and in the business world. Here's another piece from, this is going back to General William Slim. Any army without discipline is no more than a mob, alternating between frightened sheep and beasts of prey. Discipline, as the British soldiers demonstrated in peace and war, is the old Christian virtue of unselfishness, of standing by your neighbor, your comrade. It is the sacrifice of a man's comfort, inclination, safety, even life for others, for something greater than himself. It is the refusal to be the weak link in the chain that snaps under under strain. And this is a great little story here. One paragraph. Back to the book. Once, from the safety of a well-dug command post, 
I looked down on a battery of art- artillery in action in the African bush. It was firing at five rounds per gun per minute. And, idly, I timed the nearest gun. In that area, the enemy, unfortunately, had complete local air supremacy and guns, unless engaged in some vital task, were ordered to remain silent whenever hostile aircraft appeared. Gradually, dominating all other sounds came the dull drone of bombers flying low, but the guns went on firing five rounds per gun per minute, for they were supporting an infantry attack. Cover and move, by the way. The first stick of bombs fell around the gun I was watching. Some of its crew were hit. The dry brush roared into flame, which spread instantly to the camouflage nets over the gun. It vanished from my sight in smoke and flame. Yet from the very midst of that inferno, at the exact intervals came the flash and thud of the firing gun. Five rounds per minute per gun. Never a falter, never a second out. No weak link there. The discipline held. That's pretty awesome. Sections here talking about duty and service, and we're going to first start with Colonel George Henderson, a British officer who fought in Egypt and at the Battle of Kassassin, and he fought in the Boer Wars as well. Then he talks about Waterloo. Here we go. Back to the book. No incident is more familiar in our military history than the stubborn resistance of the British line at Waterloo. Through the long hours of the midsummer day, silent and immovable squares and squadrons stood in the trampled corn, harassed by an almost incessant fire of cannon and musketry to which they were forbidden to make reply. Not a moment but heard some cry of agony. Not a moment, but some comrade fell headlong into the furrows. Yet as bullets of the skirmishers hailed around them, and the great shot tore through the tight-packed ranks, the word was passed quietly. Close in on the center, men. And as the sun neared its setting, The regiments, still shoulder to shoulder, stood fast upon the ground they had held at noon. The spectacle is characteristic. In good fortune and in ill, it is rare indeed that a British regiment does not hold together. And this indestructible cohesion, best of all qualities that an armed body can possess, is based not merely on hereditary resolution, but on mutual confidence and mutual respect. The man in the ranks has implicit faith in his officer, the officer an almost unbounded belief in the valor and discipline of his men. And that, 
I've talked about this and people want to know what makes the SEAL teams do well. The thing that makes the SEAL teams do well is the bond that holds them together. And that bond is so strong that it's unbreakable. And that's why SEALs do well in combat. Because we have a bond that is unbreakable. Stronger than anything that's going to get thrown at us. The brotherhood is going to stand. And I'm going to close this book out with two more quotes. And speaking of Waterloo, this one is from Wellington. And this is a very simple quote. He said, My rule was always to do the business of the day in the day. <laughs> and I, I was reading this book the other day and I actually posted something about it. But I, I, I was... I didn't realize I was thinking about this, but we have a, a, a saying in the SEAL teams, plan your dive and dive your plan mm-hmm. is the saying. So when you're, when you're doing a combat swimmer attack, which is when you're on a rebreather and you're diving underwater, mm-hmm. and f- what, if you've never dove before, if you don't understand this, it's very hard to comprehend what combat swimmer is like. But I'll give you a real quick brief. When you're doing a combat dive on a rebreather, you basically can't see anything. It's nighttime. You're down at 10, 12, 15 feet underwater. It's black. Mm. You can't see anything. There's no like fish swimming around. There's no sea life to look at. There's no coral reef. It's black. You can't Mm. see anything. Mm. The only thing you can actually see is something called an attack board, Mm. which an attack board sounds really cool, but let me tell you what it is. It's a piece of plastic. It used to be wood that has on it a depth gauge, a compass, and a watch to time. And so you put little tiny chem lights, Mm -hmm. little glowing chem lights, and you actually Mm -hmm. tape them up so that they're barely emitting any light at all. Mm. And you put one by the stopwatch, one by the compass, and one by the depth gauge. And when you're underwater, so you have those things, they're basically strapped onto this board that you hold uh, I don't know, it's like like the, about the size of a piece of paper, right? Eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. That's about how big this board is. And on it, you've got your depth gauge, your compass, and your stopwatch. And you can barely see them. They're glowing very faintly. And when you're underwater, that's all you can see. Mm. It, it's just that. You can't see anything else. <laughs> Occasionally, you'll get like some weird abstract light from the moon or something. But even that's rare because mm-hmm. you're down underwater. And if you've ever been in water with low visibility, sometimes that sometimes it's actually hard to see the attack board that's two feet in front of your face. Mm. So then what you're doing is you're looking at that compass, you're looking at that depth gauge, and you're looking at the stopwatch, and you have pre-planned legs that you're going on. You're gonna go this long, this, this bearing, this long, this depth for this time. Mm. And when I say, so you're kicking, looking at this board for an hour and 17 minutes. Then you're gonna make a 90 degree turn and you're gonna go for another 48 minutes. And then you're gonna make a right turn for 12 minutes and you're gonna hit your target. Then you're gonna turn around and do some other route back out. Mm. As long as you can stay underwater, you stay underwater, then eventually you run out of oxygen, you come to the the surface and you swim the rest of the way to your extract. Any visions of the glory and the, the fun of being a seal, this is, it's not it's work Mm. 
and the, it's hard work and you have to concentrate the whole time and you got to make sure you don't go too shallow or too deep if you go too shallow you'll be seen if you go too deep you're go off the the dive tables that you're allowed to be on oxygen for so you got to focus the whole time and by the way you're in a pair and your buddy that's with you he's even more miserable than you are because he has no idea what's going on he's just trying to keep up with you because for some reason the way you dive the way you put your body when you have the attack board you can swim a little bit faster than the guy that's looking around and making sure that you're not going to hit anything and make sure you're not so there's only one attack board per there's, pair. There's a one attack board for, per, per pair. Okay. Sometimes we would make two. We'd make a smaller attack board just because it was so much more efficient to fly with them. But you can't fly. You if you're the buddy, you you can't be just looking at the attack board. You have to look around. Attack board. The attack board. You attack, can't. Okay. That's what we call it. The attack board. Mm-hmm. So, with all that, the reason I'm telling you all this is that when you're underwater. <laughs> It's really easy to get confused and turn around and sometimes you go over big pieces of metal that are in the water and your compass starts to like wander around and you're you can't communicate with your buddy. That's what it sounds like. You've got so we you know we have squeeze signals and sometimes we'd carry uh, grease pens to write, but it's never there's no real effective way to communicate underwater. So you're just in this dark, just cold blind situation for three two three four hours at a time and the saying is that we had is plan your dive and dive your plan because if you and I go underwater and then we start trying to adjust things while we're underwater and we just we think we're gonna do something different once we go first of all you and I are gonna be thinking two different things and it's gonna be a disaster so we we plan our dive and dive our plan and that's Reminded me of this statement do the business of the day in the day yeah. Right get done what you say you're gonna get done do it yeah, yeah. And how simple is that and it's like dive your plan and what I said the other day I said Plan what you're gonna do and then do what you planned. Mm. That's real simple yeah. And and I said think of how far you're gonna think of where you will be in two weeks yeah. If every day you plan what you're gonna do and then you do what you plan yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it seems so. That 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 was what we were talking about a few weeks ago. Where it's like distractions. That's the thing. You know, I, I was seeing there's like just industries of distractions. Yeah, for like, sure. You never wake up. I was explaining to my eight year old daughter the other day that they design because she was playing a game on iPad. Oh and I said, yeah, I said, oh, what are you learning from that? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, oh, are you learning anything from that? And she said, well, I, I, you have to get these rings. And I said, oh, so you're not learning anything from that. Yeah. And she said, I don't, I don't. I said, you know what they do? They make that game to make you want to play it more. more. There's no, there's no end to the game there's too, no by end. the way. They just want you to play that game. Keep clicking on that. That's yeah. there. It look, you know, and of course I'm just being a total jerk. I'm like, yeah, look at how, well, look at how well it works. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> you can't put it down. Look at you. You you look at you holding on to this thing. And she doesn't fall for this anymore. When she was younger, I used to go up and, and press her head <laughs> as if her head was getting softer. <laughs> and I'd look at her like, yeah. Oh man, how long have you been on this for? And she'd yeah. say, I don't know. And it'd say, I think if you stop now your brain might harden back up eventually. <laughs> probably do the same thing with with her uh her muscles. Like oh. if she's eating like chips oh, or something. Yeah, too many chips. It's like, Oh, your muscles are getting like all soft right now. Yeah, yeah, she's young. She's four, so it works. Yeah, it still works. But they do. They they plan these things so that they 
addicted. Yeah. Addicted. Those, those iPad ones, they, there's no end. Well, everything is designed that way, right? Like yeah. you, you talk about the Facebook app that shows the little thing that shows. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, you got a message, alert, yeah. and this might be the message that I've been waiting for. Right, variable reward. It might not be. So that's the thing. That's the if you know guaranteed it, what it's going to be consistently, it's less addictive. It's called variable reward. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you, everyone in their mind is thinking this might be. Yeah, this, this might, might be, be yeah. the big one. Exactly. Right. I'm getting contacted by. By Tenacious D. They saw my tweet. They're getting back at me. They're going to come on the podcast. Who's We're Tenacious D? Tenacious D is Jack Black and Kyle Gass. Oh, right, right. Well, was that a uh, movie? It's a band. Okay. From a movie. They have been in a movie, yes. And they have Wait, a Jack TV Black. show. Jack He's Black. He's an actor. Yeah. No. That's Jack a secondary. Not He's a musician. Okay, gotcha. School of Rock. That's School not a movie. School of Rock. That's a great Shallow movie. Shallow Hell, that's not a movie. That's Jack Black. No, no, he is an actor, like I said. In addition oh, okay. to being He's a, a band rock and member, roll. who yeah. okay, gotcha. Hey, man. So, cool. Why do we just talk about? This? Oh, yeah, because I'm thinking, oh, this might be the tweet that I was waiting for right. from Tenacious D. Sure. So I got to check my Twitter mm. 47 times a minute. Yeah. No, not happening. No, yeah, yeah. You can't. You you don't have a tweet from Tenacious D that's not there. Yeah. They didn't tweet you. Yeah. So don't check your Twitter. Go and do something productive. Yeah. But so, and that's when you're already distracted. So, it, basically, the the point was, you know, do your plan or plan your day or do you yes. know and and do the plan right. So, because yeah. no one plans plan like, your day and do what you plan. Yeah, that, that's it. So, yeah, no one plans to. What's skip really ja- work What's out. really jacked up is if you actually took what you did in a day and you wrote it down and planned it. Yeah. I bet you could get it done in so much less time like right now yeah. I've got a lot of stuff going on right now yeah. and I'm doing things that normally take me two hours I'm doing in 46 minutes <laughs> same quality by the way days. just getting after it right but yeah. you got to put a little suspense date on something and say yeah. it's due here you got to yeah. get it done yeah. and then you just sit down and make it happen yeah that's what you need to do oh it's it it's one of those simple but uneasy easy things but this is why so you would you put in a way you put these kind of parameters on what you're going to do and if like i if okay i'm making a plan and i'm sticking to the plan right that's what i'm doing so yep. i plan to do xyz x you know all these things yep and if so basically right when you say okay here's the plan you outline it if it's not in the plan you just don't do it it's so yeah so distractions no one plans like hey tomorrow I'm gonna just eat like crap tomorrow that's the plan that's never the plan you know but if you don't have any plan or nothing sure you allow those things to come in so if you're like okay tomorrow and you're not gonna plan the whole day you're not gonna plan every meal you're not gonna if you did you'd be real effective Uh, yeah you'd stay stay on locked right so if you did the meal prep the night before exactly like when you go through those phases where you're cooking seven chicken breasts and you're just ready you got everything laid out Monday Tuesday yes there there you go it's real easy to People do that yeah, for a specific reason. And yeah. it works. Yes, sir. Yeah, exactly right. So, and is it realistic? And really, when you think about it, it kind of is if you're committed to it. Well, what's crazy is, is it takes more work up front. How long does it take to prepare all your meals for the week? And by the way, I don't do this. Yeah. But how long? I've done it before. How long does it take to prepare meals? It takes you two hours, two hours and 20 minutes, let's say. Same you amount of time, to, by the way. You get done preparing those. And you save time in the week, right? Because yeah. now you're not sitting around just, get, yeah. redeploying your pots and pans, redeploying yeah. your stove, setting oh, yeah. the t- all that other stuff. Yeah. You actually are going to save time. 
Yeah. If you plan your day. Yeah. And then you do your plan. Yeah. And think about just if you use that meal prep example where, okay, you don't typically we don't plan our every meal for a week. Typically, we just don't do that. But when you do the meal prep planning situation, you're saying we meaning human people, beings in general, you, everybody, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah okay. the typical person. So that's a good example. So when you do that now, boom, that your meals, uh, uh, an element of your life that typically isn't quote unquote planned is now planned. Yeah. So now those parameters are set. So anything outside of those parameters, you just don't really think yeah, about as much, you know? It, yeah. And when they kind of enter you, it's real obvious, like, hey, that's not part of this plan. What the hell? You know, it's like it's more of a red flag. But if you don't plan it, they come in, it's kind of like, whatever, there was no parameters there anyway in my head. So that goes for everything you do. So just like how you're saying, yeah, I have a lot of stuff. So you plan, okay, I'm going to do this here, do this now, do this at this time, finish it by this time, all this stuff. Those parameters are set. So the distractions have a way harder time to get in. So in everyday life, you can make some ambiguous goal. Hey, I want to eat better. No plan, by the way. Just it's an ambiguous goal. There's no yeah. parameters on no, there. You so some. you take one misstep. You you know, you were at the stop, stop light for longer than you expected. Now you're late for this. Now I'm pressed for time. There's the McDonald's. right, th- And it, oh, it'll just sneak right in. Yeah. But if you got those parameters in, you'd be at McDonald's. Nope, not part of my plan right now. Yep. My plan, I got to, you know, I got to execute. Yeah. And another thing I. If you're going to plan your day, you should actually plan to have time in there that has nothing in it, right? Yeah. So you should you should plan to have a half an hour where you're where you're going to address problems, mm. right? Okay, so that way a problems cuz they're going to come up. Yeah. You got you got to have your your free time. And by free, I mean free to go adjust. make other things happen and adjust and make yeah. things good. But what you shouldn't do is say, because I'll, I'll tell you, there's some things that I have a really hard time, like with the podcast, I'll keep preparing the podcast. I'll just keep oh, yeah, preparing yeah. it. Right. Like right. I'll You'll just keep, the time. I, no, I go beyond that because I, there's another story and that ties into something else and I'm going to go pull out another book and by the way, I got to run the, I don't have time to get it from Amazon so I'm going to go to the library. You know what I mean? It's just you go down where I could prepare for a podcast forever and not mm. be ready for it. Mm. And so I have to put my own self in check and say, okay, draw the line on this level mm. of depth on this thing. Now I might make a footnote and I've got a cool category now on my computer that's, you know, tangents. Where I, where I opened a tangent and I didn't close it on the podcast, so now we're gonna be able to enter them at a different time huh. when, when time allows, because I can get focused on that one subject. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, but cool. it takes discipline to do that because otherwise I would just go down every rabbit hole yeah, that gets yeah. opened up and you <laughs> yeah. take a book like this and there's so many rabbit holes in there. It's almost impossible to stay out of them. Yeah, gets kind of ridiculous. Yeah, in a way. Big so guy. my point is plan, your, plan day. your day and then execute your plan. If you do that, it's going to make a huge difference in your life. And what's cool is you look up, you look up and. A month, two months, three months, the amount of stuff that you've gotten done is ridiculous. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that I do do that myself is I just task myself with, I, I say I'm going to do things and then yeah. I have to do them. Yeah. There they are. And create that plan. If, let's say with this podcast, a good example, we do this podcast once a week. We've held the line really well on that. If we didn't, if we said, you know what, let's just put the podcast out when we put it out yeah, right yeah. if that was the mindset we had from the beginning we would probably I'm gonna guess 
that we would have less than half of the podcasts yeah. would have been put out. That's my guess. Because huh. we yeah. would have said, you know what? Hey, I got to train this week and I'm going to miss yeah. that and I haven't mm-hmm. read the book that I was going to read. So, Because right now, bro, oh, I've got 15 minutes, that little half hour of my schedule where I have nothing, guess what I'm doing in that half an hour? I'm doing 22 minutes worth of reading of a book that's coming up. Yeah, That's what I'm doing. Mm. If we didn't have the discipline structure in place, that probably wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be happy. We'd be going, oh, you know what? Little time went by. Hey, bro. Yeah, let's 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 give this week a miss. It's so much easier. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I was gonna no. go go hang out today. I don't really want to do this today. No, we're doing it. Yeah, we we signed up for it. Yep, totally. Did. Now, could it get to a point where we say, you know what? Every two weeks, we've mentioned that before. People didn't like that idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, you, you know who else didn't like that idea? I didn't like that you, idea either. You know yeah. why? Because I like that discipline. Yeah. Why would you know why? Because I'm basically I'm basically confining myself to doing something productive yeah. as opposed to watching YouTube videos. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. About cats. Because there's some good YouTube <laughs> videos. Right. There's some good YouTube videos, but I'm there's also a lot of them are not good, and you're not getting anything out of them. Yeah. And man, the ones that they rack up for you when you've just got done watching one. <laughs> Yeah, the ones that they rack up for you, oh, every single one of them. What yeah. do they rack up? I think they rack up four on top and four on bottom on your little screen. Uh, yeah, and every one of them is is like a clickbait, right? <laughs> every one of them is a clickbait. It's one. It, it's crazy. Trick. Yeah, it's they do that obviously. They're brilliant. They that, yeah, because it it has a lot to do with everything that you've you've watched. Oh, for sure. So for yeah, sure. it's gonna be. It's the, the next video is always just like it's a must ninety percent relevant to what you specifically want right there. And that is why. That is why you got to get angry at the. You know. You know. You have that. Uh, you know how you have that. That way that you overcame your anger management, anger management right? Right, right? By by you read that it was like you you had low self esteem. That's why yeah. you're getting mad. Well, when you get that when you get that next rack of YouTube videos staring at you, yes. you should be getting pissed because yeah. you know what they're trying to do. Yeah. They're trying to get you to click trying to take your time away from you. Yeah. And by the way, they're making money from it. When you yeah. click that next thing, they're making yeah. they're making money from what you're doing. Yeah. And so they've they've set this system up to make you click that thing. Yeah, so you're a mark is what you oh, are. Oh, you're a mark. You're, you're a, a sucker. Look at you, falling for it every <laughs> single time. Yeah. Every single yeah. time. That's how I quit drinking too, by the way. That is legit. Like, oh, I'm falling for a trick that my brain is playing on me. I ain't falling for that trick. I'm falling for that trick. That And like I said, it's hard too because it's mixed in with positive stuff on YouTube. There's oh, some yeah. really good quality stuff on YouTube. There's mm-hmm. some great knowledge you can gain from YouTube for yeah. sure. And if you're good at justifying things. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. It's a really scary. I, but my point is, I don't want to just sit here and bag on YouTube because it's an incredible source of information Yes. if you keep it informational. But it's real easy to get sideways on that. Yeah. And they somehow know they can attach like watching a street fight to, because I watch street fights or I watch a, you know, a UFC fight or I'll watch a clip yeah, or I'll watch a submission. Hey, okay. They know how to drag you in yep. to like those clickbait titles yeah, yeah. of the guy fighting the kangaroo. Yeah. Man versus kangaroo. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, what would I do if I did fight a kangaroo? Yeah. I live in America, yeah. man. I'm not fighting any kangaroos, <laughs> but somehow I got to click on that video. Yeah, to see what up. Yep. Such garbage. So good job, YouTube. Yep. 
and I'm not going to be a sucker over here. Nope. Not Don't every be a day. mark. Give yourself a limit. Yeah. See, and that goes back or to what Give you're yourself saying. like a click limit on those things. Yeah. Or just set your plan. Right, give yourself even those better. parameters, bro. You won't. It's it. Even me thinking about it right now, it, re, it really. After you kind of explained it there, it really puts it into perspective. And all the things you ever, I mean, you're different than I think. I think a lot of people where sometimes people only make plans if like they have important stuff, something that's important. I got work stuff, or I got it. I got this to do list. There's like ten right. things on the list, which actually seems like a pretty big to do list if you think ten. That's a big one, yeah. In one day, depending on. Situation. You know how many things you do in a day that you can get distracted from? A lot of them. Yeah, more than 10. It's like a lot. And that goes, <laughs> everything, everything from like when, the day you wake up, or not the day, but the, the time you wake up, what you eat every single time, by the way. Well, oh, the TV you watch or don't watch, like it's every, every second don't of watch. the day, if it had a parameter on it, oh man, you'd be just laser focused on it all your goals instead of these ambiguous hey I want to yeah. lose weight or I want to I need to I don't know XYZ more you yeah know? and I'll tell you another thing uh, the plan doesn't take that much time to put together yeah mm-hmm. and how you said it's it'll end up saving you time oh for sure it'll end up in the, one way the, or another the will. 10 minutes that you spend planning the yeah. next day yeah. will save you four hours yeah you can usually get done everything you have to get done in like half the time yeah <laughs> half the time it's crazy and it's weird too because i, don't, I mean I there's don't some busy people so out there i don't want to make it sound like there's some some people that are really busy yeah you know but I, I, get the single mom she's got two three kids she's got two three jobs yeah she doesn't you know what she's listening to this conversation going yeah no kidding yeah no kidding That's she ain't I've been watching doing youtube yeah. yeah she's in the game 24 yeah. 7 yeah well not she's in the game 20 because she's, she's sleeping, sleeping four hours four. a night. <laughs> yeah, she's keeping it yeah. together. Yeah, and when you say there's busy people, yeah, there d- two things to that. Yeah, there are busy people who you know that's what? how those they manage people it. get those, like the single moms or the single dads, mm-hmm. they get kind of like what I just said. They are in a situation, they have no choice and they right. get after it. Yeah, that's They how. have no choice and they get yeah. after it. They're like, oh, I'm going to get this done. They got their family, they're looking at their kid. They're yep. looking at their three year old kid. That yep. that three year old kid has nothing without that mom yep. getting on the grind and going to the, the, the restaurant yep. and working as a waitress or whatever, or she's working her job, whatever yeah, she's doing. Whatever. Yeah, she's putting it together. Knows exactly Tuesday, three weeks from now, I, at four forty-six, she knows where she's going to be. Yeah, she knows exactly where. Yeah. Me, I, I mean, I don't. Come on, you know, compared to the average person, we don't know. <laughs> and then compared to the average person, you definitely <laughs> don't know. But <laughs> right, you're not even like a hundred percent sure what you'd be doing in an hour, because you know, cruising could interlude at any time, and Cru- you might just yeah. be cruising is a very ambiguous uh, activity. The but then go to the other side of the spectrum of busy people i mean mm-hmm. they're busy because they don't plan enough well, that's definitely true and they're like, yeah i'm so busy all the time meanwhile no no productivity yeah. you know well, yeah. or, or or very little limited yeah limited yeah. true plan your day execute your plan Do all right it. last little quote from this this is frederick the great the battle of colin in 1757 and there were some troops that were 
I read a couple different versions again speaking of rabbit holes you start going down these rabbit holes I read two different versions of this there was either troops that were hesitating to attack or there were troops that were actually retreating and to these troops Frederick the Great said dogs would you live forever and another way that was translated was you cursed rascals would you live forever and who's he saying this to he's saying that to his own troops right right okay that are leaving either either hesitating to attack right or they're or yeah. they're retreating and yeah. he's saying dogs right right yeah Conan the barbarian said that yeah no he, well, he, on would that you movie. would you live forever no is that what you're looking for to live forever yeah no you shouldn't be and you know i i think that's a good way to, to wrap up that book because like we said those two quotes always do the business of the day in the day so plan what you do and do what you plan and dogs you cursed rascals would you live forever let me answer that for you no you won't and we're t- here talking about a book we talk about a book today and we talk about leadership and that's awesome but you got to start by leading yourself by doing what you say you will do that's integrity personal integrity when you say that you're gonna do something that they talked about being straight today they talked about personal integrity that starts with yourself by doing what you actually say you are going to do by not hesitating and waiting you gotta lead yourself so get moving don't wait do what you plan and do it today because you don't get to live forever and the clock is ticking and I think that's all I've got for tonight and echo since we are not hesitating right now if you could without hesitation please explain to people how they might be able to support this podcast if they want to sure of course because we don't want to live forever I guess that doesn't make sense. Actually, Conan the Barbarian didn't say that. What it did Conan was, the Barbarian he didn't say? He doesn't say much in Conan the Barbarian. There's a few lines, but not that much. His girlfriend, the girl that ends up being his girlfriend, then she dies later, but whatever. Uh, she you says. Tell me the whole thing. <laughs> she says, when they hesitate or when they're about to do something nuts. She says, do you want to live forever? Then they just charge. Oh, okay. Well, there you so go. She, she gets Same it. Exa- yeah, that's the exact usage. Anyway, speaking of not hesitating, so kettlebells. I'm going to talk about on it, but this is kind of this is relevant, reminded me. I kind of mentioned it earlier before we started recording. So I hear good things, right? Kettlebells. And I'm a little familiar. I'll incorporate them here and there, but... You know, I just hear more and more. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to make this a big part of the, you know, the, the routine, the program. Yeah. You do kettlebells, obviously. Yes. 
do you, how much dumbbell stuff do you do? Like dumbbells. I actually don't use a lot of right? dumbbells. I know you're yeah. a big dumbbell guy. Yeah. Like even like bench, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Like, man, how, when was the last time I benched? Like people will say, hey, how much can you bench? Yeah, I don't know. Man. Not enough. That's my answer. <laughs> It's a long time ago. Anyway, back to the kettlebells. So, starting kettlebells. But I got, and you know, you learn the tip. Be careful with kettlebells if you're doing the kettlebells. Yeah. You know how they say, yeah, start off light. This, I'd say with kettlebells more so than mm. it. Because when you throw a kettlebell, that thing, it's not yeah, like yeah, yeah. a dumbbell. Yeah. is like you grab a dumbbell, it has a perfect handle. Each side of the dumbbell is perfectly balanced. Yeah. Same exact way. Brad, kettlebell, it has a handle, then it's on the thing. It'll flip around. It'll break your hand. Brad, you can break your hand. Or when you're swinging them, you know the one that you go, I don't know all the terms. Sorry. Yeah. But the one you grab it with the two hands. Kettlebell hand, swing. Sw- yeah. Kettlebell, the basic one. Yeah. You know, kettlebell swing. Between your legs. Yep. Brad, I'm like swinging it. And I'm like, bro, what if this, what if my balance was off or I don't know, whatever. And the kettlebell hit my shin. You'd be in a lot of pain. Bro, <laughs> it can break your shin if you have, For sure. you know, even if you had like a 62 pound kettlebell, you can break your shin. Be careful with that. Anyway, so to make things, actually, technically they're not more, I got the, the on it ones, the, mm-hmm. the werewolf, mm-hmm. you know, and the chimp and all that. And you think when you compare them to the regular kettlebells, um, they're the kettlebells around, right? The regular ones. Mm-hmm. So you'd think, oh, you know, the, the designer ones with the werewolf, they might be kind of awkward because they're not like perfectly uniform. But guess what? They're balanced when they make them. Yeah. So they're just as safe. But so where yeah, are you going with careful. all this? I'm th- I'm I'm <laughs> explaining the new uh, emergence of kettlebells in, in my workout. workout. Cool. Yeah. And you and like them. I like them a lot. And the point is don't hesitate, right? Because you know how you know how you're like, uh, yeah, I okay. need to do more kettlebells. Ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ambiguous goal. That's what it is. No parameters. But I was like, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to do, I'm going to, this is going to be the workout. This yeah. is so my workout was, you want, you want numbers? I'll give you numbers. That's what I did. Metcon. Kettlebells, the werewolf. So those mm-hmm. are 62 pounds each. I had two. The double, mm-hmm. boom. So uh, di- it's like a D. De- I don't know if this is an actual kettlebell official movement. Right. I think it is. You go. It's like a kettlebell swing. Two of them yep. outside of the hips, narrow stance, uh-huh. up to clean. Okay, you clean it right, and then press, and then press it right, cool. yeah, and then clean. back down, press. squat, yeah. boom, boom. Okay. Clean and press. Yeah. So I do s- five reps and then five burpees. Walk in a circle, thirty-five seconds. Yeah. All right five reps again so i do that six times it took like i don't know eight minutes eight and a half minutes mm-hmm. that was a mess so same as my other mac but with the kettlebells and this kind of the squat probably it's weird i used to do that with a bar it's there's a lot of little muscles in there yeah. that you <laughs> that's use. what makes kettlebells good is that they're yeah. unstable they're less stable than a barbell yeah and they move awkwardly yeah so you have to use more energy and more strength to keep them under control yeah so it's working some muscles that you're not used to most likely yeah and you're it's it's interesting because you're using like you can get into this kind of it's not weird but this flow of like you know like when it swings down it's not like oh it doesn't jerk you Mm -hmm. down it will if you're not ready for it but if you kind of know after you get used to it it just flows it's like there's almost no impact Yep, kettlebells are good. Yeah, so do that. Anyway. <laughs> Where would you get your kettlebells from? 
I get my kettlebells from on it. I only get the cool ones. Actually, afterwards, and I had a picture. I was going to post it online, too, but I was like, eh. You weren't feeling it. It was less about that at that point, you know? Um, but one, I, again, the werewolf ones. So, and Joe Rogan's on one of the videos on there. Yeah. He kind of mentions this. He's like, I like this one because it's like, I think it was like the gorilla or something like that. He's like, it looks at you and it's like, it wants to, d-. he says, you know, he says that the gorilla looks like he wants to bite your dick off. That's what he says. <laughs> something along those lines. But he has a good point. Like those kettlebells when you're like, man, I really don't want to do this. And then they're just looking at you, you know, and you're like, dang, you walk away, you come back and you look at it and it's still looking at you with the same expression because it's, you know, kettlebell. Because it's an inanimate it, it, object. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm saying it helps. Yeah. You know, because you get into the workout, you know? Yeah. You know, especially like how you, you're like, it's a challenge every time. Anyway, do that. All right. On it. Support, right? Podcast. On it.com slash Jocko. 10% if you off. you want to get kettlebells, alpha brain, strong bone. Uh, yeah. Krill, krill oil, oil. Big time. Shroom tech. Yeah. So with the krill oil. Mine didn't come in yet. I slacked. I went to Hawaii. Oh. It didn't come in yet. And I'm kind of, it's weird. I'm yeah, slowly starting. It's, I'm not messed up. I'm not, but I'm go slowly to starting to. Some. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Huh? Actually, you don't want to go. You don't want to let it get out of your system completely. That's not good. Not yeah. Smart. Then you it got to reincorporate into it. Yeah. yeah it takes I, think like, it if, I think it takes about six days. Yeah. In my to case, it took, it took, I think five. Mm. When I start to be like, oh, there's yeah, different. You don't anyway, that. I think it comes in today. Nonetheless, krill oil, the best krill oil. Straight up is from on it. So yeah, on it.com slash Jocko. Ten percent off. If you want that ten percent off, go slash Jocko at the end. It's a good way to support yourself, podcast, and get after it more efficiently. Also, if you want to check out this book, Serve to Lead. Uh we'll have it posted on the website. Uh it takes you to Amazon. Grab these books from there. You click through the website. That supports the podcast really good, whether you're buying these books. Any book. We did Musashi last week. No, um, we did Book of Five Rings last week. Musashi, the novel, will be covered in Podcast 100. Yeah. If you... I, we are going to talk about the whole book. It's a novel, so it's going to be spoilers. So if you want to listen to that podcast, you got to read that book now. It's a 1,000 pages long. It's freaking long. Yeah. So get the book now so that you can get the satisfaction of the book because it has the most epic ending it's one of the most epic endings of any books yeah and it's on the jockopodcast.com website books jockopodcast books they're all on there also the one you mentioned it today one called mind games the book that i read oh you put that on there i didn't yet the the author is michael powell and here's the thing it's not like it's it's not like a typical book where it's like talks about anger management. It's not that. It's it's literally like there's little games, oh. like mind brain exercises in there. You know, it's just everything, and they're really short chapters. They're just little things, and that one chapter happened to be about dealing with anger. Anyway, Michael Powell is the author on that one. That was a good. One. I'll put it on there though. Legit. Yeah. Good one. So yeah. Anyway, Amazon click through. Basically, you click through there. Boom. Takes to Amazon. It's a it's a little support. Thing, you know, small action, big reaction, or if you do other shopping on there, duct tape, duct tape, if you will. So, yeah, any shopping really, but you know, these books that's a good, that's a real relevant one. I think that people, um, you know, they do want to 
to grab these books and boom, they're on there. Offer. Sure. Um, also, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whichever one you prefer. I think iTunes is the most popular, but I see significant references to Google Play in general society. You know, also a lot of times Stitcher. Stitcher, yeah. You know how like a lot of times people they don't want to go mainstream. You know. Oh yeah. It's like, like they YouTube. like to just keep it old school, yeah, hardcore, underground. underground. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. You know, what's the old saying? Don't go with the herd or path less traveled. You know, one of those, one all of those things. <laughs> same deal, same deal. So I get it. Google Play. Oh, but good news is we're on all of them. No, so good boom, news. choose your your avenue. Also, YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channels. We do have a YouTube channel. Talk about it every week. But it not only does it have the video version of this podcast, it has excerpts and deluxe excerpts. What are those excerpts that you have? Enhanced. We'll just say enhanced <laughs> excerpts. Also, you know what, man? I, th- I have this other idea. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make little, we'll just say other little videos too. That's what I'm going to do. Just like to add, add value, so to speak. I like that. Right. Well, the video is a very compelling form of interaction with people. And yeah. people like, that's why, that's why YouTube. I think YouTube is like the most searched website. Bigger than, it's more searched than Google. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's up there. It's, yeah. If it's not number one, it's number two. Yeah. So if you want to learn something, people immediately yes. search YouTube. Yeah, that's what I do. And guess what? You remember the other day we talked about YouTube Red? Yeah, I got YouTube red. Uh, why? Because the ads. Uh, the ads is one thing, but yeah. also because you can listen to music mm-hmm. without it being on the screen. It plays in the background like iTunes. <laughs> that, is that the main reason? Yeah, because now I can get any album that I've. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of the music, a lot of the music that I listen to isn't on iTunes because huh. it's old school. It's hardcore. It's underground, like yeah. literally not on there. Yeah. But the YouTube videos yeah, up it's there. It's crazy how it's YouTube a YouTube video them. will be on there from some random hardcore band yeah. from New York, upstate New York, and their 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 right one on album that they made, their yeah. one E P <laughs> five songs long that yeah. came out in nineteen eighty seven. Mm. It'll be on YouTube. Yeah. It's not anywhere near iTunes. Yeah. It's on it, and you can play it, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I guess they YouTube Red sometimes they'll put or not sometimes all the time. Do you have put, YouTube um, Red now? No, uh. because the main selling point the problem is that they albums put, without tracks. <laughs> Just <laughs> FYI, tra- yeah, I yeah. know you like albums with tracks. These are albums yeah. without tracks. Well, typically I don't listen to YouTube for the music situation. This'll That's not it. where I go to. Yeah, if you have Red, you'll change that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Red they push it with hey, no ads, and then I'm like, cool, no ads, but. Man, I'm not that quick to jump on the no ads thing. I, there have been plenty of times, a lot of times with movies, but the ads that play, I'll like, it'll be for me, directed <laughs> for me. Like, dang, this ad you is helping me. Yeah, in a way, sometimes. God, you're yeah. like the ultimate YouTube person. <laughs> not only am I going to click the next video, I'm going to enjoy the advertisement. Yeah, I get the Ty Lopez ads a lot. You know that is, right? Ty Lopez. He's <laughs> a... um. He's a super smart guy. He's actually one of the reasons why like I, I started reading a lot like one of the reasons and so he's a smart guy but his ads are all over YouTube I, but uh, I know it's my fault because it's relevant to what I watch apparently you know uh, how they okay. do that so uh, it's my fault but those are the ads I get Tyler <laughs> Piss 
<laughs> Should you go to college? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, yeah, so yeah, subscribe to our YouTube. You know, got some subscribers on there, some good feedback. You know, I'm going to keep posting videos. It does help that people will say, Echo post videos. In addition to just He's requesting it. peer pressure. I like that. <laughs> no, That's good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, subscribe to YouTube. That's a good one. Uh, also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. On there, we have T-shirts. If you wear T-shirts, you know, check them out. Um, if you're interested in anything on there, get something. I'm not saying to buy some. I'm not saying, hey, guys, go to JockoStore.com and buy a T-shirt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying go to JockoStore.com. There's some shirts on there. There's some hoodies on there, rash guards, patches. Some women's stuff, some tank tops and whatnot. Travel mugs. Hats coming soon. Anyway, check them out if you You've like them. You've said hats coming soon before. Yeah. So it, far, I've been impressed by your uh, turn times on that. It just depends on what you think soon Well, is. when you say soon to me, I, that me, to me means Bro. three days. Okay, so I grew up on Kauai. For hats. Yeah. I don't care where you're from. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it's Hawaiian <laughs> time. I'm not saying that. It is, but that's not what I'm saying right now. Okay, so Kauai in Omao. On Kauai, in Hawaii. So on the end of Omao Road is a, I don't know what it is, a church or religious center or something. Mm. And it says on the top, it says Jesus coming soon. And that went up when I was, I think, seven years old. So soon is a relative term. Very relative, yes. It's a sliding scale for sure. Well, let me tell you what. Hats, I hope, get here before the return of Jesus. Yes, Uh, that's the goal for sure. If we can make that happen, it'd be awfully nice. (laughs) Yeah. All right, because it's got it. summertime. Yep. Now, right now, it's summertime, right. so we need hats to wear in the sun. Oh, right, to block the sun. Yes, that's what hats do. Yeah, got you. So, yeah, there it is. JockoStore.com. If you see something on there that you like, you recognize the layers. Grab something. Support. <laughs> Here's a little thing. Jocko designed a shirt. Designed specifically, 100% too. By the way. By Jocko. I even tried to put my little pinky in there denied. for some input. Yeah, denied. straight up denied. I'm do like, bro, do you know who manages is the store? Is that shirt up yet? That shirt's not up. It's being printed, but, you know, we went with it. And 100% Jocko's design, 100% not really m- approved by me. I mean, it's approved, but, like, I tried to, like, make my little considerations, my little alterations. Alterations. Yeah, you know, cool. you know what I'm I saying. I was watching out for them alterations. <laughs> I was worried about them. My creative input. Luckily, we overcame them, bro. Totally overcame them. You and, got trumped. You know, trump. I said we're making this shirt, and that's a direct order. <laughs> <laughs> that's Actually, basically, what happened. That, yeah. Nah, you're, you're. Yeah, you finessed it for sure. But at the end of the day, I looked up and I was like, "Dang, my input on." You know the store that you know. I, I think I feel like I'm the manager of the store. Yeah. Like, apparently, I'm wrong, but that's cool. So anyway, new shirt as a result, designed by Jocko. JockoStore.com. That's a good one. Also, Psychological Warfare. If you don't know what that is, it's an album with tracks of Jocko's voice saying and telling, helping. That's what it's doing. It's helping. I hope so. People, myself included, by the way, through moments of weakness. If they arrive, arise, arrive and arrive. Yeah. So yeah, if you're having trouble one day. If you want an alarm clock of me, which people ask me for, 
Yeah. Just get psychological warfare and set it as your alarm. Yeah. That's it. That's why we yeah. made it. Because everyone was asking for that. So there you have it. You yeah. don't need to you don't need it. We're not gonna make a ringtone, I don't think. Yeah, well te- yeah, technically you just set it as Yeah, you just set it as a ringtone and you're yeah. good. Yeah. It's yeah, and it works really good, especially that well, it depends on your weakness, right? Or what kind of person you are. So you know, me. If you say hey, Echo, wake up at four thirty for one year every morning. One year. There's gonna be a day or two where it's gonna be harder than you know than another day. So you put on the trap. What time do you wake up? Uh, that's classified. So if you have problems, like eight thirty to me. If you have problems, crack of noon to me. <laughs> I woke up at noon on Saturday. Oh, because you're still on Hawaiian time. How In could a you way, wake up at noon? How could you even do that, bro? I I, I didn't God, mean to. I, I, it was it's a long story but yeah so my wife was like hey it, it was g- good for you to join us or nice to, nice of you to join us even you know your that? wife is ragging on you for yeah. sleeping till noon bro credit to her she was just like yeah, yeah she got two sleeping. kids to take care of yeah, you're up there like, sprawled out straight up in the sleeping. queen size bed just getting after <laughs> I know, it bro. I know it's bad <laughs> not gonna make a change nonetheless back to psychological warfare if you have you know if you're on a, di- a cool diet you're eating is clean boom you get that temptation one day at work the donuts you know they bring the donuts yeah, right do. we talk about Evil. this all the time yeah people just do that too okay he don't gracie he run r y r o n he talks about um like how you, you go to a restaurant and they're like oh so cute the kids here's some you know here's a cupcake for the kids yeah. so cute right and people like overlook how rude and uh, it's like a, it's how much of a violation that yeah. is. You, you got know? any rat poison you can feed them while you're at it? Yeah. Hey, look look how cute your kids are. Kids, let me give them something super unhealthy. It's a violation. Anyway, that's what happens when people bring donuts for work and think I'm going to do this for the office. Not that I frown upon that. I'm just saying put it into perspective. Nonetheless, if someone does that while you're at work, boom, you got to track for that too. Just put it on real quick. Put on earbuds, you know, so it's for you. Sugar-coated lies. Sugar-coated lies directly into your... Anyway, it's called Psychological Warfare. Look at it on, or look for it on iTunes. Jocko Willing. Google Play. Google Play, Amazon Music, all that stuff. Yeah. All that good stuff. Wherever the MP3s are being distributed. All right. Also, on Amazon, you can get Jocko White Tea. And here's a little verified purchase review. Again, this means that the person... This is verified. Yeah. It's 100%. Mm-hmm. So here's the review. As a tea guy, I am somewhat picky. So I ordered some Jocko White tea. I'm pretty sure the box was growling when I opened it. <laughs> That's a verified review. Uh, I brewed up some tea and poured it over ice, after which I went out on my bike for a training ride. I was pulled over twice. I explained that I had consumed some Jocko White tea before I left, and the officer just nodded and said, get after it. <laughs> The next officer was not so forgiving and gave me a ticket for speed limit. Um, so, in summary, this tea can get pretty pricey if you don't mind speeding tickets while you're riding a bike. So, <laughs> it's just another thing to be careful of. If you drink Jocko White tea and then you get on a bike, you got to watch out that you don't get speeding tickets because you're going to be going a little faster than the speed limit. That's the Jocko White tea. Also, on Amazon, you can get Way the Warrior Kid. And this... This review here of Way of the Warrior Kid, also verified purchase review from Amazon. This is the book I wish I'd read when I was a kid, and that's the same thing I say all the time. I work in schools and I've already bought a spare copy to lend out to my students. I've also read it twice myself, though I'm 39-year-old man. 
Same Side hope. note, my pull-ups have also improved. So I'm telling you, it's a kid's book, sure. That's what everyone says. That's you know what it's set up kind of looks like. Sure. There's some lessons in there from Uncle Jake that we all need. Yeah. So Way of the Warrior Kid, you can pick that one up. Also, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. Do you know what this book is about? It's about getting after it. Mentally and physically, simple, straightforward. So if you want to get after it, get the Discipline Equals Freedom field manual. Not a lot of fluff in there. I'm going to tell you that right now. Not a lot of fluff. Straightforward. Of course, we got the book Extreme Ownership. This is the book we refer back to a bunch on here. Combat leadership for your life, for your business, for your school, for your family, for you. Own it. And for your business or your team, you can get us, Echelon Front, Leadership Management Consulting, to help bring leadership at your team to the next level. That is... Leif Babin, who wrote Extreme Ownership with me. That is J.P. Donnell. That is Dave Burke. Both those guys have been on the podcast, worked both with those both those guys extensively in the Battle of Ramadi, and myself also at Echelon Front. So that's what we do. We go into companies, and we help you with your leadership. Info at echelon.com if you're interested. Also, the muster in Austin, Texas, July 13th and 14th on the Barton Creek Resort. I think this might be sold out by the time this airs. It's a venue that's only 300 seats. We've sold most of them. If you don't get a ticket in time for that, check extremeownership.com. See if you can still get a ticket for that one. And if you don't get a ticket in time for that one, that's okay. Come to San Diego, September 14th and 15th for Muster 004. That one is also at the Omni Hotel, but the one in San Diego, lots of folks are coming back to that one. Lots of people that went to the first Muster in San Diego are coming back for another go. It's gonna be awesome, we will see you there. And in the meantime, if you wanna talk to us, we are actually upon the interwebs on Twitter on Instagram and we're gonna see that one on the Facebook echo is at echo Charles and I am at Jocko Willink and thanks to everyone for listening to the podcast but don't just listen go out Wake up earlier, work out harder, read more, make yourself better. A better soldier, a better sailor, a better airman or a better marine, a better police officer, a better firefighter, a better paramedic. Make yourself a better engineer or janitor or waitress or waiter or lawyer or doctor or car mechanic or builder make yourself a better person a better leader every day and as Charlie May said on July 1st 1916
before he went over the top into the raging hell that was the Battle of the Somme. He said, it is a glorious morning. And it certainly is. All of them are. Every morning is glorious. So get out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.